That to-do list you have needs one more thing. Chill. It's an easy thing to do. Just crack open an ice-cold Coors Light and chill. Take the afternoon off and binge watch anything. Go to happy hour and stay for a couple hours. Who's counting anyways? Or hang out with just your dog, because you've had enough human interaction this week. Whatever you do, do it with a Coors Light. Mountain cold refreshment made to chill. 2020 Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast. A production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. I don't know if you caught Oregon State, Arizona last night. Gil Coliseum. Huge game. Tommy Lloyd, Arizona, got the ninth-ranked team of the country. Coming to Corvallis, playing against an Oregon State team that at times in the last two years has been laughed off the court. Well, Jordan Pope had the ball in his hands. Scores tied 80-80. to Fantastic final call here from Mike Parker on the Oregon State Radio Network. One timeout remaining. Pope into the front court. Beavers could win it with a hoop. Pope goes left. Jordan a step back three for the win. Goal! He hit it and the Beavers win. <laughs> oh, I love it. You telling me the college sports is not joyful? You telling me it's lost its luster? Are you telling me it's all about the transfer portal in NIL? That kid who hit that shot, he had opportunities. He stayed loyal. Stayed loyal to the one school that offered him a Power 5 conference scholarship out of high school. Jordan Pope will be joining us here in a few minutes to talk about it. I'm going to ask him about his decision last year. What in the world did he see? He had to have received offers in the portal. What did he see that made him want to come back? And by the way, the Pac-12 men's basketball tournament in Vegas, it's going to be wild. It's going to be wide open. Arizona has been up and down. Uh, Really talented, but they got outplayed last night. And it wasn't lucky. It wasn't one of these things, oh, they're on the road. Oh, they got bad officiating. It wasn't that. I thought Oregon State just outplayed Arizona. Washington State is good. They can beat anybody on a given night. Oregon is good. They got Dana Altman. They'll figure it out. Cal has the best scorer in the league. Stanford can shoot the three. I'm I'm looking around the Pac-12 conference. Bobby Hurley at ASU, they could beat anybody on a given day. UCLA, Mick Cronin, they seem to have turned a corner. I'm just looking at Utah and Colorado. Colorado's really good. Utah at home is good. I'm looking at the conference, and I'm saying that the men's Pac-12 basketball tournament might be one of the best tournaments in the country. It's just really even. There's a lot of parity. There's some dangerous teams. Um, you know, I, I know that people are pointing at UConn from last year and going, hey, at this stretch of last season or at this juncture of last season, UConn went on. They went on to win the national title. They were mediocre at this juncture, and that is true. But I'm here to say that I think the Pac-12 basketball tournament is going to be lights out. Great call from Mike Parker last night. Here's the call on the Pac-12 network. Too too slow. They wasted five seconds. Jordan Pope for the win. Oh! Oh! 
Mike Parker did it better. Steven, you think Mike Parker did a little better than uh, than uh, Walton and crew? Yeah, but the the Walton one's funny because I don't know what noises he just made right there. But oh, I mean, it was just <laughs> un- he was un- you know he couldn't believe what was happening. So the, the the noises by Walton made it funnier. But yeah, I think Parker did a little bit better on it. I grew up a little rural, so you know I've seen livestock give birth. Bill Walton's uh, sound effects there were a little bit like the stuff that was coming from the barn in the dead of winter. Uh, let's go back to Mike Parker. Let me play that one again. One timeout remaining. Pope into the front court. Beavers could win it with a hoop. Pope goes left. Jordan a step back three for the win. Goal! He hit it, and the Beavers win. You know what I hear from Parker? And I love Mike Parker. I, I, I hear a guy who has been through some stuff. That program's been through some stuff. That university's been through some stuff in the last year since August, really. Um, baseball program announcing this week that they're going to play independent next season. Football program, you know, in a legal battle along with Washington State for relevancy. Here comes big, bad Arizona into town. This is a Wayne Tinkle team that last year and this year has been blown off the court in a couple of games that it's just embarrassing. 40-point losses, just really bad. And here comes a cathartic moment, another moment. And I hear that, genuinely hear that from Mike Parker. Love the call. And it's it's what I needed. I got to be honest. Here I arrive on this Friday. You know, we're in a, a world of, you know, three of the four coaches in the college football playoff have left their teams. Nick Saban retiring. Kalen DeBoer jumps to Alabama. Jim Harbaugh going to the NFL. No loyalty among the coaches. Uh, you got the conference commissioners meeting with Charlie Baker in Washington, D.C. Everybody going, you know, what is college football? This isn't fun anymore. This sucks. A lot of belly aching going on. Uh, litigation everywhere. And then all of the sudden, in the middle of that on a Thursday night. One timeout remaining. Pope into the front court. Beavers could win it with a hoop. Pope goes left. Jordan a step back three for the win. Goal! And the Beavers win. There it is. I love that. And it makes me. Rem- it reminds me of all the, all the opportunities and all the times where we have seen, you know, play-by-play calls give you that cathartic moment as a fan. Whether you know it lit- really is like James Harden hitting a three. Harden works around it, drives the defensive Porter. Difference of two seconds. Game clock and shot clock. Harden, sizing up Harper. It's a three. Oh! Harden's got 45! You can hear it in the arena. You can hear it from the broadcasters. I don't care what sport it is. Game-winning calls are game-winning calls. Pressure coming from Adams. And that's batted. And it is picked off! Julian Love, the interception of the biggest moment. And finally, Jamal Adams, when they needed it most... Smith, screen, Jackson, Smith, and Jacob looking for the lead, and redemption for the Seahawks offense. Touchdown, Seahawks lead. I love good play-by-play, and it reminded me last night as, you know, here's another Thursday night. It just reminded me of all the wonderful times that we have had our sports franchises and athletes and players lift us somewhere greater. Late to inbound. The Blazers have a 20-second timeout. They move up in the city. Late now throws to Roy. Ray 
Does that work? Does Celine Dion work with any play-by-play call? Does that work for you, Stephen, at all? Not for me, but I know it's a thing, though. It is a <laughs> it thing, because my brother will yeah. text me these, and I'm like, yeah, I just don't get it. Like, it doesn't do it for me. All right, let me try to explain it to you. Okay, listen to this first. Mariota drops, steps up. Yeah, yeah. He can run a long way. 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 45, 40, 35, 30, 25, 20, 15, 10, 5, and zone. 87 yards. I love that Tennessee Titans broadcaster. He might be my favorite. I, we had him on the show. But all right, so the the music is there like a musical score in a movie, Stephen. It's like it's supposed to add a little bit of add a layer of emotion to the to the call. I guess I, guess, I don't know, Joe. I, I don't I don't get it. Okay. I don't I don't get that emotion for it. It, it takes right. away from the call for me. All right, let me let me try it here. First and goal at the nine. Mariota, play fake, looking, No, no, doesn't add enough. No, not for no. me. <laughs> <laughs> I used to do this as a kid, okay? I'll geek out a little bit on this. Um, you know, I used to, uh, like, like a lot of broadcasters, I would... I would uh, record, um, you know, a little bit of play-by-play of myself, and I and the, when the movie The Natural came out with Robert Redford, this became a thing. Like, you know, you remember that scene with Robert Redford, uh, you know, Roy Hobbs stepping into the uh, box that first time he was he was going to hit a home run or knock the cover off the ball, and you know they they start by showing him in the on deck circle, and they say now batting number nine nine Roy Roy Hobbs Hobbs. <laughs> Hobbs comes into the game, right-handed hitter, facing Stephen Vaughn on the mound. Stephen Vaughn's got a nice fastball. Stephen Vaughn. <laughs> doesn't it add a little bit? Uh, you know, why don't they play music at NBA games if well, it doesn't add something? That music, I think, adds to it. The Celine Dion. Oh, it's a Celine thing it's for the, you. It's, it's the lyrics. The lyrics get in my way of the actual call. Hmm. So you don't mind a musical score? No. Nevertheless. I don't mind that, but yeah, I want to hear the actual call. Not, I mean, I love Celine. Celine's awesome, but I'd rather hear the call. How about, uh, can we do Pedro Sandoval hitting a home run with the natural underneath it? Would that work? I'm sure it All would. Right, this is going to be my last one, I promise. I promise. High fastball, swung on and belted deep in the center. Jackson going back. Still going back. You know, like I said, I wasn't executing. I tried to elevate there and didn't get it high enough. And, uh, obviously, didn't quite know he was that locked in at that point, but uh, he's seen the ball pretty well today. Sandoval, it's a high fly ball to the left. Young back at the wall. It is out of here. Pablo Sandoval, opposite field, 4 nothing Giants. I don't look for nothing there. I just go and swing the ball. You know, it's the ball it is. I just gonna swing. I don't gonna try to do too much right now, especially in this time, and <laughs> the season. You know, all all you body's tired, all the things. You know, you feel slow. You have to keep focus on that. I just I just go in there. You know, get a pitch I can hit. 
the 1-1 pitch. He swings and he belts one. Deep center field. Jack Hughes going back. And goal! A home run! Number three for Pablo Sandoval. His first three at bats in this World Series. And Pablo Sandoval looks like the babe himself has come back to life. He joins Babe Ruth as one of only four that have ever hit three home runs in a World Series game. There, there, uh, to me, that adds something, but maybe you just like a good play-by-play call. That works for me. I, I feel like it's just because of the words and the lyrics in it. It really yeah. bothers me. Do you like how I mix the interviews into it? I like, did. you know, It did make good? it feel big. It made it feel big. It, it, that is a lot of work. <laughs> Let me tell you. <laughs> it is a lot of work. I uh, I think. Do you have a favorite play-by-play call? Like, to, was it the Lillard? Was it was it you know was it Brian Wheeler calling Brandon Roy? Is it um, you know is there another play-by-play call that sticks in your mind? Because to me, it's the 1982 NFC Championship game. It's Dwight Clark. It's the back corner of the end zone. And to me, it's not necessarily about the call. It's just more about um, the catch. Third and three. We'll see a pick of some kind on the right side, possibly. Montana. Looking, looking, throwing in the end zone. Dwight Clark. It's a madhouse at Candlestick with 51 seconds left. Dwight Clark is 6'4. He stands about 10 feet tall in this crowd's estimation. Vin Scully and Hank Stram on the call there. Steven, do you have one that, that you really like? Uh, yeah, I, I, you talked about the Lillard and the Roy one are good. Uh, the one, another one that sticks out to me, you know, I'm a big NCAA tournament guy. When Gonzaga lost to UCLA 2006, Adam Ooh. Morrison, Gus Johnson, um, that's always a really good call for me. And then there's another one that at, Gus Johnson had, uh, Vermont upset Syracuse and he was a uh, TJ Sorrentine from the parking lot. That one always gets me too. Here's the Lillard call. 37-foot game winner, uh, Blazers TV. George will defend Lillard. Spread floor. Lillard with 47 tonight. Working it down to 2-1. to one. A deep three. Oh! Go! What? Blazers win the series. A walk-off three from Lillard. Damian Lillard from way downtown. <laughs> Kevin Calabro reaching way down for that one. Uh, love that uh, big moment. I thought about the Lillard shot last night when Pope made the shot because there was a little bit of a similarity with him kind of taking it himself. Um, the action that Oregon State was running was all away from the ball. You could tell they were just basically going clear it out, get away from him, um, and uh, and allow him to to do his thing. And then he, you know, Walton's criticizing him, saying it's too slow. And then Jordan Pope goes down, elevates. We'll ask him about it coming up, what, what he was thinking uh, moment to moment. Here is the Gonzaga call. Gonzaga, um, are you talking about Gonzaga beating UCLA 93-90, that no, game? No, no, I was talking about, oh. uh, I have it right here. I have this call. Okay. Uh, Gonzaga used to in the NCAA tournament 2006 Adam Morrison season. Uh, UCLA made a tremendous oh. comeback. He holds on. You don't want to foul Morrison. You make him get it over half court. You know you got to foul. And oh. it's as I recall, that game was uh, in in uh, the Bay Area. It was at the Oakland Coliseum. I was at that game, and Adam Morrison was left on the court 
uh, crying, crying at the yes, end. And, yes. and we had, you know, I was on the scorer's table, and Morrison was maybe uh, 15 yards away from me uh, on the court, just face down on the court. And then we, we came on radio the following Monday, and I can remember all the discussion was about whether or not it's okay for players to cry in sports. You know, is it okay for them to show emotion? Like, no, 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 they're supposed to be robots. It's not okay to cry because Adam Morrison was just sobbing at the end of that uh, game. Uh, for the Gonzaga fans who are mad, I'll give you one that you will like. Here's Jalen Suggs hitting a game winner. To the right side of the floor, defended by Kispert now. Drives, leans in, the runner comes up short, choosing the rebounds and puts it in. We're tied at 90. Three seconds left. Here's Suggs the other way. Pull up three for the win. Yes! Yes! Set yes! of the championship game! He knocked from 40 at the buzzer! Yes! The Bulldogs! Wow! Play for a national championship! Did you know who was on the call on Gonzaga Radio there? I do know Adam Morrison is the uh, color analyst there. That was Morrison in the background yelling, yes, yes, redemption for Adam Morrison. All right, Jordan Pope, Oregon State, such a good story. At the end of last season, he could have taken off. He could have gone somewhere else, probably for more money. He stayed loyal to the school, that the only school that offered him a scholarship uh, out of uh, his prep team in high school. I'll ask Jordan Pope, was it about loyalty, something else? And what did that feel like last night to hit the game winner? He's next. Tie game. Perfect. Oregon State has a timeout if they want it. No, Wayne saying go for it. Too, too slow. They wasted five seconds. Jordan Pope. Last night in Corvallis as Jordan Pope and Oregon State upset Arizona. Here to talk about it, the man of the hour himself, Jordan Pope. How did that feel, man? Yeah, definitely. I've definitely, you know, dreamed and imagined that, you know, since I even started playing basketball. So for that to actually happen, you know, it definitely felt great. And um, I was glad I was able to uh, make the shot. Let's go through, like, take me through what you were thinking. Because for people who didn't see it, it's 80 to 80. You got Arizona on the ropes. You guys, uh, you know, you outplayed them to that point. You've got the ball ends. You start bringing it up court about eight and a half, nine seconds to go. What are you mm-hmm. thinking as the as you're as you're dribbling up the quarter? What are you looking for? Um, you know, I was hoping coach didn't call a timeout because I didn't want the defense wasn't really set. It was kind of just you know bringing the ball up the court. Everyone trying to get everything figured out. So I seen he didn't call a timeout. And then he started calling out a set that we work on a lot in practice, which where we get you know action on the weak side and give the ball handler, which was me in that time, basically this whole side of the court to operate. And I knew the clock was going down, so I was like, yeah, the way that I've been playing and the way this game is going, I'm gonna get the shot, I'm gonna get to my spot, you know, and rise up and shoot it. So just dribble down. I said, all right, I'm gonna, gonna wait for the the false action to go on, and then I'm gonna make my move and get to my spot, and uh, the rest is history. Yeah, it, it looked to me. I've watched the replay a million times. I don't know if you've seen it, but it looked like. The defender expected you to drive, and and I think they were a little surprised when you kind of uh, you you know you made that one hard dribble and then you pulled up. And I think the look on the defender's face was a little bit of surprise. Did what what did you see there, or are you even processing? You're just playing, probably. 
Um, yeah, I was just playing, but uh, to be honest, I knew I was going to shoot a jump shot regardless uh, of how he guarded me. But I knew the defender they had on me, he was he was pretty pressuring me like high, like by half court. So I knew if I gave him a hard dribble to the basket, you know, if, and if I had an ankle, I would get all the way to the cup. But if he started catching up with me, then I would you know step back into a shot that I'm really comfortable taking. So yeah, I just drove really drove drove it really hard, and um, you know, I just took what the defense gave me. You know, shot a shot that I work on a lot. When did you know it was in? I, I really didn't even see the shot go in, but uh, <laughs> after I shot it and then the defender came in my face and then next thing you know, it felt good. And then the crowd went crazy, so I was like, oh, I made it. And then, yeah. <laughs> I love that. Uh, so give me an idea. Did it, did it deliver all those times you did it in a gym or you did it in a, in a driveway or a neighborhood hoop or at the end of the cul-de-sac um, feel better in real life or different or how did that feel? Uh, I would say it felt better. You know, we all, you know, imagine that happening as, like, you know, we're kids. And, you know, we have basketball dreams. You know, it definitely felt better because uh, you never really know, know what to make of a situation like that, an experience like that on your home court against a ranked team. And, you know, the crowd's going crazy and the ball's in your hands. And, you know, you have an opportunity to do something really, really special. So uh, it definitely felt better than, um, you know, when I was a little kid in the driveway or in the gym by myself. But, you know, you know, I couldn't ask for anything better than that. You guys, uh, I, I like I said off the top of the interview, I, yeah, I thought you outplayed Arizona. It wasn't mm-hmm. a case of them being off. You just outplayed them, outworked them. Um, right. In the lead-up to the game, could you see that coming? Did you see it on film? How were you feeling as, you know, game time approaches? Oh, we were pretty confident coming into it. You know, we felt pretty embarrassed by our last road trip, you know, against the Mountain teams. We played pretty bad, you know, credit to those teams. You know, we we felt really bad about ourselves because we didn't play up to expectations of ourselves. So coming into this week, um, you know, it all started with practice. Our first few practices practices this week, you know, were amazing. It's probably one of our best sets of practices. So, you know, coming to this game, we're really comfortable. And we know the potential we have on this team. You know, we've shown spurts of it throughout the year. You know, we just haven't been able to put a full game together. So being able to come in and really focus on the game plan and, you know, execute it, it really, really shows what the team can do. And, as everyone seen last night, we, you know we could be anybody when when we do play like that. Jordan Pope, our guest, Oregon State basketball big upset win over Arizona last night. You're a fantastic story, and I don't know if people fully grasp the story, but you played on a loaded team in the Bay Area. Prolific prep, Jalen Green, mm-hmm. Namari Burnett. Um, there was a kid from Washington State who's in the NBA now that I'm blanking on his name, but you were no, gay. yes, and you're on this group, but you were really under recruited. The people in the Bay Area said this guy's flying under the radar. He, you know, I don't know if you were overshadowed or people just missed on you. But mm-hmm. you, you end up at Oregon State. They bet on you. What did that mean to you that Wayne Tinkle and Oregon State saw something in you? I know it meant a lot. Like you said, you know, coming out of high school, I was I was under recruited, but I never felt like any less like of ability compared to all my peers in high school. You know, coming up sophomore junior year when I played on those stacked teams. Uh, I felt like I just I wouldn't say overshadowed, but you know they had like all the all the hype, five star and McDonald's All American, all that good stuff, which I felt like I should have been. But you know, like, you know, life just doesn't work out that way sometimes. But you know, it really meant a lot for them to take a chance on me because I put a lot of work in, and you know, I know what I'm capable of. People that are in my circle and have seen me play since I was a kid know what I'm capable of. I just needed the opportunity and the platform, and you know, for Coach Tinkle and Oregon State program to take a chance on me, I think was a win win, and um, it really goes to show how much belief and trust that they have in me coming out of high school and, you know, vice versa for them. At the end of last season, I know a lot of people wondered, would Jordan come back? Would he leave? There's going to be NIL money. This is going to be, this could be messy for Oregon State. Did the loyalty factor in your decision to come back, or uh, am I making too much of that? 
No, you know, I, uh, that's such, you know, I, I'm heavy on loyalty. You know, that's, that's something that's uh, that's that's rare these days. And you know, I've, I've always been like that since a kid. That's something my father taught me. You know, loyalty goes a long, long way. There's, you can't really put a price on certain situations and opportunities. So definitely, you know, it came down to loyalty, and um, I, I, I felt like this this position I'm in and the team we have and Wayne Tinker and Oregon State, we had the potential to do some great things, and we showed it last year. And, you know, plus, you know, I have an opportunity ahead of myself where, you know, I have leadership of the team, and, you know, I'm I'm able to do what I do best with the freedom of Coach Tinkle, you know. So that's that's all that played into it when uh, I made the decision to come back. You guys, uh, this season, I think there's been some tough moments. There's been yeah. moments like last night that were great. How how do you get how do you get um, sort of the 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 balance, or how do you find more consistency as a team? Oh, you know, preparation each and every day, taking each rep and practice serious. Uh, you know, really getting in the gym and working with each other and getting better, and um, you know, trusting the coaches in their game plan, whether that be you know defensively, offensively. And, you know, just like I said, preparation and putting the work in. And if you put the work in, we've seen what the uh, results uh, we can get. Yeah, and I look, I look at the rest of your season, and really it just it comes back to refocusing, right? you got the next one. You'll, you'll get Arizona State. Uh, there you go. <laughs> what has that been like for you today, like on campus? It's been good, you know, seeing the love and the support that I've been getting. You know, it means a lot. Uh, the fans here are amazing. And, um uh, you know, it goes to show, you know, once we, uh, you know, put, put some good games together and put some good performance together that they really stand behind you and, um, you know, they'll really, they'll live and die with you. So, you know, it feels amazing. Now, okay, so do you have classes today that you have to attend in person or are you online uh, or what are you doing? Uh, this term I'm all online. Okay. So, you know, I didn't, I didn't have, I have a couple teams that had in-person classes this morning. But which, this, uh, but, which is definitely kind of harder. I, I wouldn't wish that on nobody, but yeah. yeah, I'm glad I got online. All right, but let me ask you: like, this might be a good day for Jordan Pope to take a stroll across campus, right? I mean, like, <laughs> there've been yeah, some other days just, you probably didn't feel like it. Yeah, today definitely. I feel like if I had in-person classes, you know, I'll probably get to feel more of the, uh, you know, the love and uh, see some smiles on some people's faces, and you know, the people that are at the game or heard about it. You know, I definitely probably. Probably would have been a nice uh, little thing to enjoy, but you know I'm fine with either or. Yeah, look, you got you got Arizona State coming in, uh, and you know you know life happens fast, and you know you're only as good as the game in front of you. How are you guys feeling about this matchup this weekend with that team? Uh, we feel good, you know. We just gotta you know stick to what we what works for us and what we've been doing, and making sure we we don't you know get too um, high off this last win, and um, don't let it like hang over and coming into the game Saturday night. So just. Trusting our work and you know, trusting the coaches and trying to execute the game plan. And, you know, if we do what we need to do, then we we feel pretty confident that we can come out on top. Give me an idea of what it feels like in, in this era because this is all new. This is new for the rest of us. New for players. You know, you've got the the NIL collectives. You've got a season in front of you. Um, you'll have a question about what you're going to do next year. Um, does it get does it get weary talking about that stuff? People asking you about it, or you know, middle of the season, people going, "Jordan, what are you going to do next year?" And you're like, "Just let me enjoy what's going on right now." Yeah, um, it's, you know, something tricky. You know, the landscape of college basketball now with NIL definitely gets messy. Yep. And then, um, you know, it's it's tough. You know, there's, you see a lot of different situations. You know, that could go bad, or you know, end up not working out, or just taking a new path. But for me, you know, I don't really like when people ask me that, or um, you know, try to talk about it. I mean, I don't mind it, but I don't. I don't like when people bring it up during the middle of the season because, you know, I'm really – I'm focused on where my feet are right now and um, what's ahead of us right now, and that's, you know, obviously Oregon State basketball and 
the games we have coming up, I don't want to think too far into the future or dwell on dwell on the past, but just live in the moment and be in the moment and don't let none of the outside noise really get in the way. That's that's really the type of person I am. So I really try to block the noise out, but again, I know that's part of um, you know college basketball now. So there's times where I think about it in the back of my mind personally, but like I said, I really just try to you know keep it one day at a time. I look at the conference, and you know Arizona's good; they're talented. You guys beat them. Washington State's good; they play well. Uh, Oregon can be good on a given night can beat anybody. Mm-hmm. Arizona State's not bad. UCLA seems like they've figured something out; they're playing better right. now. This thing's wide open. I, I'm interested mm-hmm. in you know what you saw last off season, the vision you saw that helped you come back, in addition to all the other stuff that that, that we've talked about. Did you see a vision? Because I, I know Oregon State had some injuries last year, but did you mm-hmm. see something that said, hey, you know what, we, I, we could make a difference here. I, this, this is where I want to be. Uh, yeah, definitely. I did see a vision. You know, last year, like I said, we've shown spurts, and we had flashes of what we could do. Last year, there was a lot of games that I felt like we had in our hands and that we let drop. Which you know led to you know some some bad losses, which why you know our, our record was the record it was. But you know I tell a lot of people all the time last year we uh, we weren't as good as our record shown. We were a lot better. We had a lot of games in our hands against good teams that we had, but we let go. So coming back, I knew you know if we learned from those things and we all got better as a team as individuals, then we can really do something special. And I really believe in that. So coming into the summer, I was like we all stick together and um you know we stack days and put the work in. This upcoming year, which is this year, you know it's it's, it's wide open. It's not like last year where there was one or two clear-cut, you know, favorites. But this year, anyone could be beat, as it's been proven so far this season. Um, and we all believe in that. It's not even just me. It's not even a confidence thing. It's like it's a fact. But we all we all feel like we can be at the top of the pack or win the pack and, you know, go really, really far. So we just keep trusting that and um, putting the work in, then, you know, we can live with the results. Jordan Pope, um, you know, I mentioned the landscape of the conference. What do you see when you look at the conference and where you guys fit? Um. I think I think we're one of the best teams in the conference. Um, even though our record doesn't really sh- uh, prove so right now, you know we started off a little rough. We went through a rough patch and we lost a handful of games. But all those games, aside from the Maryland trip, we were up 12, 13, 14 points against every single team, and we held control of the game. That we just let them slip. So you know if if we don't let certain things happen, we could be at the top of the Pac-12 right now. But that, like you said, that just goes to show the Pac is wide open. Everyone can win. Anyone could be beaten. And um, yeah, I, I think I think we're one of the best teams in the conference, and we can make a lot of noise going into the um, Pac-12 tournament. Hopefully, a, a deep uh, playoff run. All right, go give them hell this weekend. I appreciate you joining us. That was magical moment. Love watching that. You know, I uh, I think it's been a lot of fun to see you play to this point. Can't wait to see what you do next, Jordan. So thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right, take care, man. Thank you. Yeah, yep, you too. There he goes, Jordan Pope. Had options in the off season. Had offers, NIL offers from other places. Um, did Oregon State know what they had with Jordan Pope? I think it's a fair question. I need to ask Wayne Tingle that the next time I can look him in the eye. That's one of those moments like Larry David where you got to look him in the eye. You got to see, you know, did you? Did they even know what they had? He was overlooked, under-recruited, played on a loaded prep team. You know, um, if you believe in feel-good stories with all the money involved, this is possibly one of them. He may have just been loyal to the only school that recruited him. And I'm sure he got an NIL bump along the way. But Jordan Pope delivered last night fantastic fashion. I want you to leave it here. Coming up, 4 o'clock, Scott Ruick, Oregon State women's basketball coach, will be with us. But our big splash is next. 
All that play-by-play and game-winning play-by-play in the early part of the show. Man, got my juices going. Will we get any of that this weekend in the NFL championship games? AFC title game on Sunday. Chiefs at the Ravens. NFC title game on Sunday later. 49ers hosting the Detroit Lions. Which one of those games is more likely to have a game-winning moment at the end? Like the buzzer beaters, like the Lillard shot. Heck, like, uh, like you know, more or less the, the Chiefs game that they won over the Buffalo Bills to advance. Although it wasn't really a game winner. It was more like a game misser. Tyler Bass will try a 44-yard field goal to tie. The wind at his back. The snap is good. The ball put down. The kick is Ooh. up. And no good. Wide right. Wide right. The Bills kicker missed a field goal. Wide right. Jubilation for the Chiefs sideline. 143 to go. Bass missing wide right from 44. It was just a couple of years ago in the divisional round where uh, the there were four game winning kicks to win games at the uh, to send teams into the into the championship round of the NFL playoffs. Uh, Stephen, which game more likely to have a game winner in a great call? Like, what are we going to be playing on Monday? Will it be the Ravens Chiefs highlight or the 49ers Lions highlight? Well, actually, here's my thing, John. I don't know what game it's going to be, but I think the more memorable call would have to be a Nance Romo highlight rather than a Burkhart Greg Olson highlight. And I think it's mm-hmm. more just because. I, I almost think Burkhardt and Olsen won't be as emotional about it and go crazy, kind of like Nance did. You heard that call yes. with the Tyler Bass. I think Nance is going to own own a moment like that better than Burkhardt and Olsen. So I think it's more likely that it's Nance and Romo no matter what, even what the games turn out to be. I like when a broadcaster loses their mind. I like when they show their little bit of excitement and allegiance or you know just excitement for the moment. Dave Niehaus, uh, Seattle Mariners, Edgar Martinez. Yankees, Mariners. They would love a base hit into the gap, and they could win it with junior speed, the stretch. And the 0-1 pitch on the way to Edgar Martinez. Swung on the line, down the left field line for a base hit. Here comes Joy. Here is Junior to third base. They're going to wave him in. The throw to the plate will be late. The Mariners are going to play for the American League Championship. I don't believe it. It just continues. My Edgar Martinez with a double ripped down the left field line and they are going crazy at the kingdom. Look, I'm not a Mariners fan. Every time I play that call, the hair on my arms stands on end. It's it's just because it's a great sports moment and I'm a sports person and I love moments like that. Uh, Let's go back to uh, Kirk Gibson. World Series 1988. You've all heard the Vin Scully call, but how about the TV call with Jack Buck on it? We have a big 3-2 pitch coming here from Eckersley. Gibson swings and a fly ball to deep right field. This has got to be a home run. Unbelievable. A home run for Gibson. And the Dodgers have won the game 5-4. I don't believe what I just saw. I don't believe what I just saw. Is this really happening, Bill? It is happening, and they've got to help him home. The third-base coach, uh, Joe Amalfitano, had to give him a little push, 
and all the Dodgers are around home plate. I don't believe what I just saw. One of the most remarkable finishes to any World Series game. A one-handed home run by Kurt Gibson. And the Dodgers have won it 5-4. to four. And I am stunned, Bill. I have seen a lot of dramatic finishes in a lot of sports. But this one might top almost every other one. I, I think the beauty of that is not just... Kirk Gibson, you know, the theater of Gibson limping to the plate, coming in as a pinch hitter. And, you know, the broadcasters prior to the call, even Jack Buck's talking with his sidekick, and he's saying, look, if Gibson gets a base hit here, the Dodgers are going to have to pinch run for him. The guy couldn't run. Like, if he hit a dribbler and he was going to have to leg it out, it wasn't happening. He wasn't getting to first base. Gibson was in there to, to you know, hit a ball off the fence or hit a ball over the fence and and try to tie the game or win the game. And he came up big. And, and for the fact that Eckersley coming in had something like 47 saves adds to it as well. But you have Jack Buck, who literally has seen it all in, as a broadcaster, saying repeatedly, I've never seen anything like this. And I think that's what makes a call like that particularly great. And uh, speaking of Jack Buck, Judah put this one out here. It was the Joe Buck call for the World Series in 2011. David Freese hitting the home run, how he uh, paid the homage to his dad. Freese hits it in the air to center. We will see you tomorrow night. Simple, simple sort of point there. We will see you tomorrow night. <laughs> I love that. Uh, look, I, I've had the fortune of getting to see a lot of big moments and, and be there for a lot of big moments. But one thing that I wasn't around for was Bill Shonley in 1977. And I think I would be remiss if I didn't play the Bill Shonley cut first from Game 2. Because I think the beauty of this cut in Game 2, and it might be my favorite play-by-play call that has an attachment to the state of Oregon, it's, it's not that it's a championship moment. But it's a pivotal moment in the series. Blazers had been pushed around a little bit, and there was this kind of "Are you gonna? Are you here to play big boy basketball or not?" moment. And Maurice Lucas squares off with Daryl Dawkins, and Bill Shonley breaks into boxing play-by-play like he is Howard Cosell on ABC's Wide World of Sports, and and he's seamless in doing it. Into Gilliam, put it up, doesn't drop. Dawkins the rebound. go all started uh, daryl dawkins and maurice lucas squaring off ultimately and bill shonley with a fantastic call of it steven do you have a, a call that you like yeah there's another one i thought of just talking about this um the larry bird steal eastern conference finals and steal by okay. bird underneath the dj lays it in i mean that's just 
This is a great call that I've always uh, always enjoyed that, even though I'm not a Celtics fan or anything, but this is a basketball guy. This is a great call. Are you going to play it? I'm no, I'm not. Oh, like, I thought I, you were gonna play. It. I, I was, I, I, I was I on the edge of my seat. I, 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 I'm actually looking for it right now. There's all, all right, this, you find that music what? under all of them that I'm finding. So that's the oh problem. yeah, we can't have that. You especially not for you, not for me, yeah. <laughs> especially not for you. I grew up a, a Giants fan, and I've done this before. I've I've literally uh, pointed out like Hank Greenwald and Ron Fairley were uh, were my guys, and you, people may remember Bobby Thompson and. Uh, you know, Bobby Thompson, the, you know, the Giants win the pennant, that call. Um, but when the Giants ended up winning the world's or winning the National League in, in the 80s and going to the World Series, Ron Fairley and Hank Greenwald used Giants win the pennant. Giants win the pennant again. And, and so I do think you can recycle things on the Jack Buck, um, Joe Buck front, you know, and, Certainly wide right, used by everybody last week in the uh, divisional round of the AC- AFC playoffs. But I just think great play-by-play in any language works. Here's Graham Gano k- kicking a 63-yard field goal to win a game for the Carolina Panthers. Okay, You have no connection, likely, with the Carolina Panthers. You are not likely a, a native Spanish speaker. But I challenge you to listen to this clip and not get chills from it. Le ha sobrado distancia, le van a servir. Tiene altura, tiene profundidad, va a llegar, va a llegar. ¡Ganó, lo ganó! 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 ¡Señor! ¡Ganó, lo ganó! ¡Ganó, lo ganó! ¡Ya sí le voy, le voy a los bates! ¡Taca, taca, 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 taca! ¡Ya sí le voy, le voy a los bates! ¡Taca, taca, taca! I just love the joy of that. I love the joy in the call. Oh, so good. Steven, you got your Larry Bird call yet? Yes, I do. Just one second here. All right. <laughs> I had it. Okay. The volume turned down. On the race today, On the race today, I All that for you, no, That's okay. That's all right. It's still good play-by-play is good play-by-play. And speaking of which... Uh, in the Chiefs Bills game, uh, in the divisional round, the you know we've played the Fox call, we've played the Restwood One radio call. What we haven't played is the call from Korea that came uh, of the same uh, Tyler Bass missed field goal. You got to channel that kind of reaction in your living room when you're watching the games on Sunday. It brings us, of course, to our big splash. It's the one thing you need to know today. This is the one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. The big splash. Brought to you by Killer Burger, home of the peanut butter pickle bacon burger and voted best burger five years in a row. Killer Burger, the burgers your mama warned you about. A transaction in the NFL, unusual heading into the championship weekend, but the Ravens have activated Pro Bowl tight end Mark Andrews. They activated him off injured reserve, trying to give Lamar Jackson another target 
Guy said, quote, I love to play football. I love the Ravens. I love the city. I'm going to give them everything I got, end quote. Remember, he injured his left ankle on November 16th. Uh, the, the thought at the time was that he was going to miss the rest of the season, but uh, he apparently has spent six hours a day rehabbing his cracked fibula and ligament damage. He has spent nights in a hyperbaric oxygen chamber to speed up his recovery. We all need one of those. And Jim Harbaugh, John Harbaugh, the Ravens coach, said it took an amazing amount of toughness for him to uh, get himself in position to play just 73 days after a significant injury. How much does he have? Will he be able to fill anything on his body? I don't know if they're shooting him up and what they're shooting him with, but the uh, three-time Pro Bowl player uh, will be active for the AFC title game against the Kansas City Chiefs. It is an interesting, if not remarkable, story, and it's our big splash. Coming up, Scott Ruick, Oregon State women's basketball coach. They're ranked in the top 25. Can they capture a Jordan Pope moment? They've got a game tonight against number 3 Colorado. They will play number 16 Utah on Sunday. Big weekend at Gill Coliseum for Oregon State women's basketball. We'll talk NFL playoffs in Hour 2 as well. Will there be a highlight game-winning moment in the Niners game or the Lions game? Should I call it the Lions game or the Niners game? Or in the AFC title game as well? Uh, Plus, who do we like? Steven and I will lock in our picks for the weekend. Final answers only coming up in Hour 2. And Anna will be along for Hour number 3 in the 5 at 5. Leave it here. you got the BFT. Oregon State women's basketball has become a source of pride for the Pacific Northwest. I think Oregonians have looked, uh, I think ever since the time Scott Ruick arrived as coach, have looked upon that program at Oregon State and said, hey, that's something we can get behind, something we're proud of. Final Four appearance, back in the top 25 this year, and he's on the show now. Uh, big matchup. you got a big matchup tonight and Sunday at home. Let's drive some people to your arena. <laughs> Let's go. Thanks for having me, first off. and. Um, yeah, it's a huge weekend uh, for us, but man, it seems like everyone is. Uh, you know, this this uh, conference has developed over the years, and we're going out with a bang. You know, with some huge uh, opportunities, and this team is is just one of those teams that you love watching. Uh, you know, and that's the that's the comment I hear. I just love watching this team, and they play with so much passion, and we have all the pieces, and it's just fun to watch them grow before our eyes. Let me ask you, because a you know, big win last night for Wayne Tinkle's program in men's basketball, and you know what does that do for a campus? You go to you show up on campus today, or you show up in the basketball offices today. A little bit of energy there left over from that win. Ah, there will be electric, electric. That's what that's what you hope for, and and certainly you know as a student uh, back in the day, uh, you know in the Peyton era when I was here. I mean, we, we camped out on the ramps to get in there, you know, and so to uh, get to revisit that a little bit, um, you know, was exciting for everyone. And uh, I thought it was just a, you know, wind in the sails, um, you know, for, for that program, for, for all of us. And we were so happy to see it. Yeah, you get an opportunity tonight, uh, number three, Colorado, visiting uh, at Gill Coliseum. And, you know, your team, obviously, I, I, I want to start by talking about Reagan Beers. Um, saw her last year thought, gosh, she's going to be really good in a year. What kind of growth have you seen? Well, right on on time. Uh, she was just announced today uh, to be one of the ten finalists for the Lisa Leslie Award, top center in the country. 
And, uh, you know, Ray's, it's neat to see her get this recognition for what she's doing. And she's grown in every way. She's such a force, you know, just physically so strong, unbelievable hands, unbelievable footwork and balance, you know, all the things it takes physically and skill-wise. And then you look at the character that, that she has, and, and she's just a dream uh, in every way. She's a great teammate. Uh, she's humble, uh, and she just wants to be great, you know, and so that's infectious. And and so um, growth this year, just being able to score away from the basket a little bit more comfortably, uh, her timing, um, just understanding what she can and can't get away with, um, you know, against the competition she's playing. Um, and then the pace that she plays really lets us go. I mean, she gets into screens, she rolls, uh, she's, she's just playing great basketball and, and still in many ways scratching the surface, but, uh, her defense is at another level. And so, um, you know, the foundation that was laid by her parents and her coaches previously is just being built upon through all these experiences. And it's awesome to watch. Scott, tell me this, like I look at Reagan and I see, okay, she's a Colorado kid. McDonald's All-American, right under the nose of, you know, Colorado's program, and, you know, you get her at Oregon State. Do you have a sense of why kids are picking Oregon State? Because you do this over and over and over again. Well, I mean, I I think all of recruiting and all of relationships have to do with finding your fit. And, you know, when we go out and look, you know, certainly we need to find the talent you know, that can compete. And we want to compete nationally. We want to compete with the very best, and we want to become the best. And, um, you know, so we're looking at the very top kids. And then you have to pretty quickly identify those who would be a great fit for you so you spend your time wisely, and you have to be pretty savvy with that so you're not wasting time. Um, And right away with Ray, it it just seemed like this kid would love our program, would love Oregon State, and we would obviously love her. And then it was just a home run with with the family from day one. And, you know, I've always said distance doesn't matter. Um, I used to think that in my D3 life, um, you know, but as as a coach here, you know, we watched, you know, these great players from California go have great careers at UConn, um, you know. And, well, she seemed happy over there, and she went to where the fit was was for her and so then you know my mind started to shift on that and now I would tell you um, we've watched kids choose to stay home and go to the local school and be miserable because it wasn't the right fit it was the convenient place um, for whatever reason in their mind and and sometimes that works but that doesn't always work you have to go where your fit is and when you do find it you'll be at home and what's better than having two great homes and and so that's uh, that's just kind of that that narrative that we help them problem solve through so that it's their decision um but man it's been it's been pure magic scott ruick with us oregon state women's basketball coach uh you know you've obviously played deep in the tournament you've been to you've been there you've you know i saw you at that final four matched up against the best in the country and the path to get back there is it harder today than it was when you did it or easier given that you have the infrastructure i know the world's changing around you but can you maybe speak to that a little bit, just the, the challenge of getting back there? Well, I just I think it's just super hard no matter what. <laughs> I, I think, uh, I, I mean, I don't think getting there one time, getting there the next time, I, I just think, you know, so many things have to go right for you from, from being healthy to having the right players to having the experience necessary to, as a coach, understanding what buttons to push at the right times. You know, it took me 13 years to get to the – to the final four of, of division three after just, you know, 
killing myself all those years trying with all those great teams we had. And then, um, you know, here that was year six and it was a quicker rise, but it was in my 20th year, I think, as a head coach. And so you kind of know those things, but the belief I think is the biggest thing you have to know you belong and you have to prove it to yourself day in and day out. You know, but then certainly the ball has to bounce your way a few times, uh, unless you just have dominant, overwhelming talent, um, such as the UConn team you mentioned that we played in the Final Four. Yeah, you're in the top 25 again, and for fans that means something. I know you can't get caught up in that because you want to you want to finish. It's about finishing. It's not about where you are in the journey. But was there some measure of validation within the roster, within players? Uh, you know, as you walk across campus and somebody goes, "Good job, coach!" fist bumps you. Is there some measure of validation that comes from the exterior stuff or do you have to avoid it i think you walk a fine line there i I think you do acknowledge it it's real um it is something i think um and you might as well enjoy it it's hard to get there for sure and um you know that's that's a need to have your efforts recognized and it's certainly exciting for our team and for our fans and it does help um you know whatever validation um, it's necessary to recruit with, to operate with. You want that. And, you know, we were there for a while, uh, you know, a lot, lot of years in a row. And then to have it stripped away was was painful as we dipped a bit um, through the changes. And now to be back there um, just makes me happy, mostly for our team, because they ch- this team chose us based upon what we what we had done previously. You know, I think of Tamia Gardner, a sophomore on our team now, and another McDonald's All-American with Reagan in that class. Um, she was at our first ever sellout against Stanford as an eighth grader. So when she thinks of Oregon State basketball, women's basketball, she thinks of, you know, incredible crowds winning, you know, at a high level. And, and so now he is a part of rebuilding that. And that is so cool. So we talk about it. I said, congratulations, but it is what it is. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you got there because of hard work and you'll stay there because of more hard work. And, and, um, you know, so use it as a motivator, um, but not more than that. We've talked in the past about your kid, Cole, who's a tremendous golfer now at Boise State. And, you know, what's that been like for you as a dad to kind of send a kid off to college? Well, man, I I was so um, apprehensive on the front end. Um, It was so, I mean, it just, you know, it's like probably anybody would experience and anybody would assume it would be like it. It was really weird having that room down the hall empty, and I, I absolutely hated it. You know, he has a putting mat in there, and it has a the a little ramp, and then the the hole on the mat is uh, it's wood, so you can hear the ball go down and then roll back to him. And so that sound that we would listen to every night in his room all of a sudden was gone. And man, you know, and then you're just hoping that everything's going good. And, you know, he's been such a great guy. He's, he's communicated with us and I feel, you know, just, you know, like he's doing well and flourishing over there and he's being honest when things have been hard for whatever reason. And and usually things are good and he's having a great experience. Um, He's able to compete. He's played in every round of every tournament in his career over there so far. And so it's been incredible to cheer him on and follow him and, uh, you know, golf parent is torque because you're watching, you know, websites that don't update as fast as you want, and you're just wondering what's going on. And fortunately, they've played several tournaments on the West Coast and in, in Oregon, actually, at, at, uh, here at Oregon State, Oregon's tournament, and then down at Bandon. Um, and they, they'll do that again in March. And so we're uh, we're really excited for them. And it's been, it's been amazing because 
all of a sudden it was clear he was ready, and he's proven that. It's funny, too, because, you know, I've gone through this with my own kid, and I have a nephew who's at Oregon State as well, and I, I only occasionally get to see him, and each time I see him, he's a little more grown up. And you, know, you get that perspective because, you know, you're around your kid every day for their whole life, and then all of a sudden you're just kind of checking in with them once in a while, and you see those big growths, don't you? Yes. I mean, it was fascinating just to watch his body develop. Even I mean, it's just like, man, he turned into a man, you know, in a year. It's like, who is this guy? You know, and for me, um, you know, who was such a part of his, his golf journey um, and Carrie as well, you know, um, we both, every time we got to go see him, which was, you know, once every couple months um, on the course, it was like he was just different. And, yeah, just ramping up that, that level of competition and then developing as a person and then learning to survive on your own does so much. And, and so we're so proud of him. We're talking to Scott Ruick, the Oregon State women's basketball coach. Um, you know, last year I watched you guys and I, and I saw, you know, Talia von Ohoffen, um and thought, gosh, what's the ceiling for her? Has Reagan and the rest of this team sort of provided her a chance to maybe not have all that pressure on her or what has sort of the balance that you've found done for her it's been ideal and she has i'm so happy for talia um she cares so much and she loves this game and she's worked so hard and she's so so talented um maybe overall the most talented complete player that I've coached um, from a skill standpoint, physicality standpoint, mental standpoint, where she's a coach on literally a coach on the floor um, to have the ability to be a creator has to do with, you know, the depth of our team and the talent of our team for sure. And the game slowing down and this realization that I don't have to do everything myself. And so for someone that's as talented as she is, that's what she's had to do her entire life as a basketball player. And now she's playing on a team where, you know, it's okay to hang out in the corner over there for a possession or two while others are making the plays um, and then play that role. And she's never been able to do that before, you know, and so I know she carried a ton of weight last year and she had to for us. And it was heavy as, as she was our primary, you know, along with Ben do our primary play, playmaker. Um, and so this year to see that kind of just joy and the fun of the game come back where she, it's not as heavy and she has, the understanding to handle it um, probably just better, um, you know, and that's the evolution of great players, and it's been beautiful to watch. Now, uh, Stanford recently had a milestone as Tara Vanderveer passes uh, Coach K for most wins all time by a coach, and a lot of hoopla, and that was great, a lot of ceremony, confetti, celebrity appearances, uh, but you guys had the misfortune of being on the schedule that day, and you uh, compared it to being the Washington Generals, which is hilarious. Um, it, what was that experience like? You walk in there, you're going to get a call game? What, you know, like, give me a break. Oh, man, your mind can go down um, trails like that really easily and quickly as, you know, there's probably, I don't know how many alumni she had flying for that game, but there were there were a bunch there. And, um, you know, then, you know, I'd think, man, if I was an official, wouldn't I, wouldn't I love to be, you know, the one that said I was there when Tara broke the record? And, you know, and I mean, that's obviously very cynical. And, and yeah, I'm, that's I'm human nature. Like, you know, but I think we all it, think. It is human you know? nature to think those things. A hundred percent it is. And, and I'm not going to sit here and 
would tell you it's not, um, even for me. And so, but the opportunity to be there and the opportunity to play the spoiler in that situation, the opportunity to compete in that game, um, in a, I mean, that was a hundred times beyond the atmosphere that we usually play in in Maples. It was, a, it was a great atmosphere that day. It was, it was, if it wasn't sold out, it was close. And, and so, um, it was just fun. I mean, that's what I would tell. And so to be that team that day, um, I only saw that as a positive. I didn't see that as like, oh, I don't want to be that team that she breaks. Her. I mean, it didn't matter. She's going to break it. You know, I mean, Oregon State's only won there one time. You know, it's not like we're supposed to win this game. And so let's go have fun with it and see if we can get it done. And um, then, you know, if we don't, that means she breaks the record. Uh, let's just give her a hug and tell her congrats, and we're happy for her. I mean, Tara's a legend, and, you know, she sets a very high bar, and I've appreciated every minute coaching against her, and um, she's been good to me, and, you know, I'm grateful for our relationship. Colorado, number three in the country, visiting Oregon State, number 25 Oregon State tonight, 7 o'clock, right, in Corvallis. On Sunday, number 16 Utah in town against the Beavers. Scott Ruick is with us. Are you a pregame speech guy? Rah-rah, Normandale and Hoosiers. What's your style? Whatever the team needs, and typically no. Um, you know, we, we're, we're pretty pragmatic when we approach game plans, and I, I don't necessarily believe, believe in that all the time. Um, I think there are times certainly to, to you know, I don't know, foster a little more emotion. But I feel like if we've done the, the right things, that, that should come from the team. And that is the type of person that we recruit here as uh, the mature competitor and that can get themselves there, that understands what the team needs. And I think it's just way, way more authentic if it's coming from them than me. And I like to be authentic, you know, and I, I would be, they'd probably go like, okay, what's, what's up with coach? They'd probably be concerned if I, if I did anything too crazy, uh, before the game and probably worry them. <laughs> so we just talk game plan, um, and then talk about what we want to accomplish and why and how, and, um, then go do it. And then the celebrations after. Is there, the a, is. is there a time when they need a kick in the butt? Like, is that a halftime thing or is that a huddle thing or? Um, or do you have a kick-in-the-butt assistant on your staff that you kind of just give a look to and that person steps in? How do you, how do you handle that as a staff? That's a great question. Um, I, I think that's also authentic. I, you know, I think sometimes there is a time for each assistant, for sure, um, you know, to challenge the team and especially the positions that they coach um, or speak to if it's their scout that week to speak to the game plan that, that they communicated, um, you know, while we were doing the scout during practice and shoot around. And so I think there's a time for that. I would say it is, it's on me, um, you know, and my, my job, I think, is to set the standard. And this is a team that takes very little motivation. This team is very motivated. They want to be great, and that's evident in watching them, and it's also evident in how quickly they are improving um, throughout this year. Half our team is new. I mean, six of the – Six of the 13 are new to us this year, um, you know, and we're reliant on freshmen. And they it's unbelievable, the growth. Well, that is because of that competitiveness and uh, that's throughout our roster. And so mostly what I need to do is remind and just remind and just remind and just, you know, here's what I'm seeing. Is this what we want to be? And so that is what this team's needed more than anything um, this year, and that's a good place to be. I've talked with uh, basketball coaches in particular and some football coaches about the way that they coach. And several have said that the transfer portal 
and this era have changed the way they talk to the kids. They're a little more careful with words. Have you seen that, or have you had to make adjustments knowing that, you know, you you got to love them, but, you know, I had another coach say that the players know that you love them. If they know you love them, you can yell at them. You know, how do you, how, how do you view all that? Okay, so this is a great question, and I have a, a unique perspective. Um, I was very fortunate to have a USA basketball experience several years ago. I was an assistant on a Pan Am team, and there, and then also was um, able to go to Colorado Springs and recruit several times, and still do. Um, you know, some of the best kids, and I've watched that level. And USA basketball would take the very best players and bring them all together and then it was just cutthroat basically to make a roster and anytime you wear usa everybody in your circle knows everybody knows everybody cares and every kid feels in immense pressure to make the team to get on the floor every kid has this ideal vision of what that experience could be like should be like and it's it's not fair to them because it will never be what they want. There's no way. You can't give them enough minutes because you have to play everybody. And, you know, if you lose a game, of course, the sky's falling, all that. So I, I just learned I don't think that you can even challenge these kids because they're carrying so much weight until the semifinal game of whatever tournament you're in. Like challenge. I don't think you can. I, I think you'll lose them because you don't know them well enough. The relationship's not deep enough. And so I think you have to be so disciplined as a coach not to get on anybody in a, in an, uh, you can't cross that line right. to where they might be embarrassed. So I think that now has translated to us. And I think we have to be so careful because of the immense pressure due to social media and everybody knowing what's going on all the time. We have to be so careful that with that relationships in place before you can really get after someone if you're going to do it right and and so i i think the world has changed that way and there's no way to have the depth of relationship with the transfer that you had with a three-year recruiting process and a four-year relationship on your team that's so that's so valuable i mean i think there's a lot of parenting in that as well you know you you got to uh you got to have boundaries uh you want to they kids need discipline um, but you don't want to destroy their confidence. Your, your, your job, part of your job, is to send them into the world as confident people, and part of your job is to send them out on the court. Uh, you know, confidence is comfort. Tonight, uh, Colorado, Sunday, Utah. What will it mean to you to see some new fans inside Gill Coliseum? Some of our listeners who might be thinking about something to do, want to bring their kids out. Um, what, what's that mean to you when you look up and you see a good crowd? Well, that's why I came here, um, you know, to restore and build um, a program that our community and the school and our the people like me, Beaver, Beaver fans and, and alumni, can be proud of. And this is one of those teams for sure. And, and this program's been built on relationships with our fans and filling Gill. And, you know, I, it was a dream of mine beyond the dream, actually. I didn't know if we could ever sell Gill out. And, uh, you know, we've done it a few times. And, and those are some of the greatest days of my life. Um, that That's the vision becoming reality or beyond. And so um, well, here's what I tell everybody. Um, get to Gill. Give us a shot. But be careful because if you do it once, you're going to get hooked. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right. Check out the Beavers. They'll be uh, at home tonight against the number three team in, in the AP poll, uh, Oregon State, number 25 taking on Colorado, and on Sunday against Utah, 
a whole nother challenge with Utah. Scott Ruick, thank you for joining us. Wish you the best. Uh, you know, go break their hearts. All right, John. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure. Scott Ruick, getting it done. Oregon State. Can the, can the women's program do what the men's program did last night? Jordan Pope, 31 points. Wayne Tinkle got a badly needed win. Oregon gets their chance on Saturday at Matthew Knight Arena as Arizona travels to play Dana Altman and Folly Dante. Well, I guess Dana Altman's not playing, but you get the picture. Leave it here. Got the PFT. All right, look, I like basketball. I, I really like talking with Scott Ruick, the Oregon State women's basketball coach. They got a big game tonight, big game Sunday, two ranked teams, both nights, if you want to check out some basketball. I enjoyed interviewing Jordan Pope. He had a big shot last night, and uh, it's a great get to get him on the show immediately in the wake of that. He was in a great mood. You could hear he was bouncing around campus, people in the background telling him, great job. Um, he had a game-winning shot. They beat Arizona. Uh, Anna's popped into the studio, but Anna, Stephen, I'm going to say something here. I'm going to say something. It's time to talk some football. I like talking basketball. I like interviewing people like Scott Ruick. He's fascinating. But we need to talk about these NFL playoff games. These are big games. There's a flag hanging on our porch right now commemorating the games coming up this weekend. I just went and bought a bunch of red and gold plateware. Oh, cool. <laughs> I'm going to be eating off red and gold plateware. That sounds wonderful. And Can we balloons. just Did you buy enough for the Super Bowl because we're going to have to do do it for Super Bowl week as well. There was a decision to be made there, you know, the good folks at the party place. I said, "Do you have 49er stuff?" and it was a fascinating conversation. They said, we are all set to order it, but we're not going to order it until Monday. Oh, tell them to order it. <laughs> Let's get them on the show right now. Unlike John, who's already, uh, you know, penciled them into the Super Bowl. I am. <laughs> I'm already trying to get on DraftKings and place a wager on the Super Bowl. It will not let me. You know, I'm saying <laughs> I, I need to get the Niners on the money line. Yeah. And it's saying uh, you got to wait. You got to wait until. Uh, but by the way, you can already wager. What you think the Super Bowl matchup will be? Oh, really? But but I I looked at it and they're they're smarter than me, so I looked at it, Stephen, and so they offer odds on if you like the Niners and the Ravens to win, and you're picking a Niners Ravens Super Bowl, or if you like the Niners in the Chiefs, or you like the Chiefs in the in the Lions, or you like the Chiefs, uh, you know, uh, you know, Chiefs Niners, whatever combination there is, all the combinations. It works out the same as if you just bet the games on the money line. <laughs> that's why they make, that? That's why they make the big bucks. Yeah, that's, they figured that out. There's no loophole there. <laughs> so I just I kind of worked it both ways. I said, okay, ooh, if I like the Niners and the Ravens to go to the Super Bowl, it'll pay you like a certain amount. I think it was like plus one ten or something like that. And then it, but it, I said, what if you parlayed both games on the money line? It also works out to plus one ten. So um, there's no advantage. They've done their homework. Somebody has a calculator at DraftKings, <laughs> is what I'm saying. I'm here to say. You need a calculator uh, at the BFT Sportsbook. That's your problem. <laughs> That's right. I thought I had an angle for like a couple minutes. I was like, ooh, this is better than betting it on the money line. Um, Kyle Shanahan talking about Debo Samuel today. Is he going to let on whether he's playing or not? Here he is. Here's 49ers coach Kyle Shanahan. Uh, it's huge. I mean, um, a little scary at the beginning of the week, but... In fact, he was able to go full go today and no restrictions on him is definitely a good thing for us. No restrictions on Debo Samuel. Do you believe him, Stephen? Do you think Debo's 100 or is this gamesmanship? 
I can't imagine that he's 100%. I don't know who many guys that are 100%, but it sounds like, you know what, he did practice and he's going to play. And uh, I think that it's very important that Debo Samuel does play. He's one of the best players in the NFL, especially as a non-quarterback. So I think the 49ers need him, as I think this game will be a little closer uh, than the number says at, at seven points. So I think he'll be healthy-ish. I think they they may try to like force-feed him early in the game just to kind of prove, hey, you know what? He is healthy. Lions, you need to take you know take an eye and you know, put it on him. But um, you know, I can't imagine he's a hundred percent fully healthy. Do you think? Do we want to know what these NFL teams are shooting the players up with before the games? Do we want to even know this? No, not at because, all. Because I saw the story with the Ravens. They've activated Mark Andrews for the AFC title game. I just want to point this out. He he hurt his ankle on November sixteenth. They said he was going to miss the rest of the season. He's got a cracked fibula and ligament damage, okay? November 16th, okay? November 16th, yeah, of 2023. So we're talking two months essentially later. He is now activated for this game. They said he rehabbed six hours a day, and he spent his nights in a hyperbaric oxygen chamber to speed up his recovery. Uh, They're leaving something out there. There's also... (laughs) He's also going to be shot up with horse tranquilizer or something prior to the game (laughs) in order to play in this game. And he's really excited to do it. But the fact that he's in position to play 73 days after this significant injury, is it a testament or does it raise questions? Testament to the medical procedure and rehabbing or does it raise some questions? Uh, I think it raises some questions because, like, you only recover from an injury like that if you're, like, seven years old. You know, like kids, they break their arm, and a few weeks later, they're in a cast, and then they're out of the cast, and they're fine. But at that age, I just I don't know how someone can recover without some significant interventions. Well, the, there was a point where you know a cracked fibula or a torn ACL, it was like the career your career was over, and now it's just like a minor injury where you can come back. You know, later on that season, we will be back for the Super yeah, Bowl. Yeah, they'll be fine. You know, I mean, there was a thought Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers. You know, is uh, his Achilles blew his Achilles, and he may be back this season. Now he didn't come back, but I still think uh, I, I think it's a little of both though. Like I'm a little weirdly like, there's something something fishy going on here. You know, all I'm right, de- so- definitely giving him some stuff, but I also think that. Medicine has advanced a lot you know, in yeah. the last five, ten years. Well, orthopedic surgeons and physical therapists and trainers will tell you that, you know, there are some advantages you have if you are younger and you have a suffer an injury and if you are active and athletic. And so you are talking in sports that we're talking about high-level professional athletes that are going to heal faster. Also, you know, he raises the idea that he, he rehabbed six hours a day and slept in the hyperbaric oxygen chamber. He's got time and he's got opportunity to to heal. Now, this reminds me of a story. I ruptured my patellar tendon. I ruptured both patellar tendons about two years apart, year and a half, two years apart, okay? Ruptured my right, ruptured my left, did one play in basketball, the other one after it healed. I was teaching the third grade girls in CYO track and field how to high jump. I planted, pop. <laughs> other, I knew right away. It, I said, that is my patellar tendon. They're like, how do you know? I was like, I know. Um so I ruptured both tendons, full rupture, right? And I took a normal amount of time to rehab. I did. I had the surgery. I did the physical therapy. I had the recovery. I did everything I was supposed to do, range of motion, getting that flexibility, rebuilding the strength. It took me a while to get back to what I would say was anywhere near 
Same time, almost the same time, my second rupture happened when Joel Prisbilla did it. He did it at the same time, same exact time. And I can remember kind of tracking his process and and seeing how, you know, how did he recover and how long did it take him. And he was ready to play in an NBA game way before I would have been ready to play in a pickup game. And I talked to him about it, and he made a bunch of jokes about what a wimp I am and I'm not working hard, whatever. And I was like, well, tell me what you do in your day. And he was like, basically, he wakes up and he's rehabbing. He's going to the Blazers training facility. He's, you know, getting constant, constant rehab for like eight or ten hours a day. And I was like, well, yeah, I'm not rehabbing. I'm working. I'm I'm like living a normal life. Like we don't regular civilians don't have access to the kind of um, rehab and training that professional athletes have. So you have a, a compounded effect here that the rest of us look at injuries and go, you know, oh, I did that shoulder thing or I did that mm-hmm. knee thing or I did that elbow thing or I ruptured my bicep and. And we apply, like, real-world things to it, and then we look at a guy sleeping in a hyperbaric chamber, rehabbing six hours a day, there's a bit of an advantage there. Huge advantage. I mean, when that is their job, once they get injured, it is actually their job to rehab and to get back to playing as quickly as possible. I mean, that's a huge difference between you going to physical therapy two or three times a week and trying to work that into everything else that's yeah. going on. And I like old people, but I was in physical therapy, and I was in kind of like looking to my right, looking to my left, and it was like, guy on my right is you know suffered a fall and broke his hip. He's learning how to get back up and find his balance and his you know his core strength again. Lady on my left is working on a uh, knee replacement. You know, Joel Prisbilla is in there. And these NBA athletes, NFL athletes, are in there, and they're you know to their right and left, they've got like the physical therapist, trainer, and teammates that are all going through it. I mean, there's a tremendous advantage. And a hyperbaric chamber. Matt, can I get a hyperbaric chamber? What does that cost? Yeah. Can we do that? And how does that help? I would love to understand the medical science between how that helps somebody recover. I just like to, I'd like to tell people that. Be like, <laughs> oh, I was in the hyperbaric chamber last night sleeping. Uh, Ross Tucker um, talking here about Debo Samuel as the X factor for the 49ers. Ross played in the NFL. He knows. Here he is. Debo Samuel is the most valuable non-quarterback skill player in the NFL against the spread. Yeah, I had and those I called, numbers. I called my co-host out on it, Dan, and I said, wait, 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 wait. They have Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle, McCaffrey, and Debo's that important? I didn't know this. The Niners average two yards more per play. When Debo's in the lineup, then when he's not, that equates to one and a half to two points against the spread. I've never heard of a non-quarterback being that valuable, according to the odds makers and the professional betters, as Debo Samuel. Also, the Niners are twelve and one straight up, and ten and three against the spread when Debo starts and finishes a game. They're one and four straight up, and zero oh and five against the spread when he doesn't. Well, look, I'll say this. I think Debo is, he makes everybody better. And he's one of the rare players who isn't a quarterback who makes everyone around him better. I think there are other examples of players who have been running backs or receivers. I think Tyreek Hill comes to mind when he was with the Chiefs. There are other examples of players who have that kind of impact. But what Samuel does for the 49ers offense is it forces the defense to not be able to concentrate on George Kittle. 
in Christian McCaffrey. And I think Christian McCaffrey also brings that element when he's on the field and healthy and in uniform because the defense has to account for him running, has to account for him out of the backfield. I think it makes life very easy for Brock Purdy and and Kyle Shanahan's offense. Uh, I'm taking the Niners. I like them. Really I think shocking. they I think they cover. I'm crawling out on a limb. Stephen, who do you like? The Bears. Uh, hyperbaric, <laughs> hyperbaric chambers. Uh, Ten thousand for you know the cheapest ones. So. There you oh go. really? Yeah. Oh. But it, uh, you know, it looks like the good ones are about. Uh, Is there a local company that does these chambers? I'd like to sample one first before I, I buy. Well, some. I'd like to tr- spend a night in one. Well, that's the thing. I don't. Some look a little smaller for like a, you know for a big guy. I don't know. I'd have to go a little more expensive. You know, the hundred thousand range. That's their. I don't even. I don't even know. What these things look like? Do they look like a tanning bed? That's That's kind of vision. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. some look like a tanning bed. One is like this big giant machine that you just sit in. But yeah, they all mostly you just kind of lay down in it, and then you uh, cover yourself up as like a tanning machine. And and help me with what a hyperbaric chamber does. I I don't. I don't know. I just want. I looked up the cost, and uh, it was ten thousand dollars for the cheapest ones. So uh, So, seems mm. like it's going to be helpful. Maybe we can find so one on it's eBay oxygen. if it's used. It's oxygen. I don't know that so, I want to use a, a used hyperbaric chamber. <laughs> so you're breathing pure oxygen. Oh. Yeah, don't try this at home. <laughs> don't, so don't, at the casinos? don't get grandpa's <laughs> oxygen tank and just like get in a closet and start to unleash it. Don't light, Bad idea. Don't light a cigarette <laughs> around the thing either. I had a neighbor one time. His name was Harold. He used to walk and he had one of those oxygen tanks that he'd carry with him. He was a smoker. Yeah. And uh, I was always like, man, that just doesn't look safe. <laughs> like, you know, you'd be like. <laughs> I thought you were going to say you asked for a puff or something. You'd be a, a little puff, jumpy every time somebody, you know, smoking a cigarette, opens a light, open flame. You just get a little jumpy. Um, yeah, but you, wouldn't, don't you think there would be a business for hyperbaric oxygen therapy? Like, for where, sure. Where, like, this thing feels like it should belong in Vegas. Like, one of the hotels should be like, would you like your room? To be a hyperbaric oxygen therapy room for an extra two hundred bucks. Yeah, there's places around here that offer that service. Yeah, well, I'm in. Go in there. I'm yeah, all about like it for uh, for like a session. It's like two hundred to six hundred bucks. I would like, like to try this. If, w- wound healing is what. Reach they call out to it. me if you have one of these contraptions. I'd like to hear from you. All right, we'll talk about the AFC title game next. I didn't know I had so many listeners who were experts on hyperbaric chambers. And so many friends who have an angle and an idea on how I can get inside one of those things. Um, uh, I appreciate all of you. I love the, the, the listeners of this show. I always do. Uh, Charlie's in Vancouver wants to talk about the 49ers. Charlie, we want to talk about the AFC, but I'll allow it because you said you want to talk about the 49ers. Go ahead. Hey, John. I was just saying I can solve your problem. I go to Alenic once in a while. And uh, right now I'm reading 150 for the 49ers to win the Super Bowl. But are you sure you want to make that decision before Debo plays after that info we just heard? Well, I, I'm going to tell you, Charlie, I don't think it matters. I think the Niners beat the Lions. I don't know if they – they can't win the Super Bowl without Debo. They don't That's have a something. shot. Yeah, but I think they will get there. My 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 thought and my theory on this is that the Niners are going to run him out there like a decoy. They may throw him a pass or two. They may get him involved. I won't be surprised. Keep him, keep an eye on him. If he catches a pass, if he's not his normal Debo breaking a tackle, running by somebody, if he just catches a pass and gets out of bounds or gets down if he has to, keep an eye on that because I think the ultimate uh, win for the Niners is a healthy Debo Samuel on February 11th 
in the Super Bowl against the Ravens or Chiefs because without him, I don't know that the Niners have a chance. They're going to need him, especially if it's Baltimore in that game. All right, that matchup, I want to focus there. Steven, Anna, you got the Ravens, you got the Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes. They they kind of did that chip on their shoulder. Nobody's picking us. They did that last week with the Bills. Can they channel it another week? Do they have another week of it in it? I, I just, That's the question. Can you play us against the world two weeks in a row? You can't 100%, and I think if anyone can do it, it's going to be Patrick Mahomes because usually we all believe in that guy. We all think he's going to win. This is kind of the first time in his you know career since he really became the starting quarterback and the MVP that he is that we're kind of doubting him, and I'm included in that. I doubt him, but I, I think Baltimore is the better team than over Kansas City in this one, and I know that uh, the Chiefs played really well last week against the Bills on the road, got that first road playoff win for Patrick Mahomes. You know, he's still something he hadn't done. He does it last week. He looks really good, but I think the Bills were really banged up in the secondary and the linebacker, and I think the fact that Baltimore, that defense has been so physical, the way they uh, dominated the Houston Texans offense, which had been humming along, I think they'll be able to get, uh, you know, they'll be able to contain Travis Kelsey a little bit, who had a nice game last week with those linebackers, with those safeties. I think Baltimore is the better team. I think having them at home is going to be big for Lamar. I like Baltimore. I like Baltimore to cover the spread as well. It's up to four in some places now. I I think even at four, I would have to lay Baltimore, lay those points. I think the Ravens going to the Super Bowl. But you've got Patrick Mahomes. On the other side of this thing, I agree with you. I think the Ravens are the best of the four teams, not just the best team left playing. I think they're the best of the four. They scare me as a Niner fan. Uh, And maybe it's because I saw what I saw on Christmas where the Ravens just dominated that game. Um, But you've got Patrick Mahomes on the other side, and it it makes the game compelling because he might be arguably the best quarterback in football in the last three seasons. And you put his numbers up, you put Lamar Jackson in that conversation. Maybe Brock Purdy had a great uh, statistical season, but I don't think you're taking him over either one of those guys. Um, Andrew, Andy Reid, Chiefs coach, talking about what makes Patrick Mahomes so good at his job. Like the great quarterbacks, he, he, can, he understands space and he can process. He, he knows where people are going to be. And so whether it's through film study or or the amount of reps that he's had, he kind of senses where people are. And a lot of guys can't do that. They can't, they can't project space and, and see and feel, you know, they're a kind of a one, two, three person. That's not how, how he looks at it. And I, I, I had a dad that was an artist and I always say that he kind of saw things outside the box. You know, we all looked at things and we said, Oh yeah, it's blue. And he'd go, well, no, it's green and yellow mixed and pop, 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 you know, and that type of thing. So that's kind of how, the great quarterbacks see things. They just see things that some of us can't see. And that's Patrick Mahomes. And that's why you'll tune in and watch, and I'll tune in and watch, and everybody else will watch, because we've seen what a competitor he is. Saw the documentary on Netflix and how much fun he has out on the field. And it was just a matter of time in that Buffalo game. Like, I was pulling for Buffalo because I wanted Buffalo to break through. And every time Kansas City's offense and late in this game, and particularly in the second half, came in and I looked at 15 and I went, gosh, that's a lot to be up against if you're Buffalo. If this is like a low-scoring game in the 20s, Patrick Mahomes can make plays, and it makes this a really dicey game, even for a team that I think is the better team and a defense that I think is more disruptive. Mahomes, there's there's an X factor about him that 
that is interesting. Now, he doesn't have Tyreek Hill. He's got leans more on Jason Kelsey. The offense has been a little more stagnant. I wonder, a team that won a Super Bowl you know, a year ago and has been at the top of the NFL for so long, I wonder how hungry they are. I think the Ravens are hungry. I think the Niners are a little bit aware of the closing window. I think Dan Campbell and the Lions, you know, that he'll eat a shoe if he has to, to to get points in this game. Like they're hungry. Is there a hunger factor that that you that you look at when it comes to the Chiefs? And do you wonder about, you know, do they have the eye of the tiger in this one? Well, I think you were right on the fact that if it's a low-scoring game. That's what the way the Chiefs are going to want to play this game. You don't want to get in a track meet with the Ravens. I think you know the Ravens have a really explosive offense, and so I think if you're the Chiefs, you want to kind of slow that down. You look at the weather report. You know it, it could be raining on Sunday. It could be raining at that point, and I think if that happens, it's going to favor the Chiefs a little bit. I don't know about like a hunger type of thing. Um, I think everybody that is here, in this situation, they they know what they know the situation is. They know what all the what it's all for. It's good to get to that Super Bowl. It's about your legacy. It's about getting there. So. I don't think there's necessarily like a uh, like a hunger factor there. I, I think the weather would be more effective than any type of motivation. I, I think if it is rainy, I think that could hurt Lamar just a little bit with his running ability. But you're right. If it's a close game, man, I, there's no one else that you want on this plane other than Patrick Mahomes. So I, I think if you're Baltimore, somehow you got to get some type of lead uh, that 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 gets it out of hand. Whether it's like you know a two score lead over Kansas City because you don't want to give Mahomes yeah. any type of chance at the end of the game because you know he's going to be successful at that. Yeah, and that's why I think point right now points for Kansas City points are great in the first half of this game because I think if it is a game that is played with a lot of field goals and you know very few red zone scores, then you know you give Patrick Mahomes the ball. And a shot to beat you at the end. You are uh, you're playing with fire you, there. Uh, you talked about Debo and how you don't think he's going to be effective. Do you think Mark Andrews, the uh, the addition to him, will be helpful for Baltimore? Is it going to be the same type of thing as Debo, more of a more of a uh, you know uh, uh, decoy. Yeah, decoy situation? I, th- I think a situational thing. I I thought you know I don't think you know I don't look at Baltimore's offense as the reason why Baltimore goes to the Super Bowl. So I get like the idea if you are Baltimore and you're looking at your offense and you're going, hey, what move can we make with a roster spot? Who can we activate if we have to have an active roster? You know, are we are we going to try to maybe find one guy who maybe in a red zone situation or in a we need a first down situation becomes an extra target for Lamar Jackson? So I think it's good. So I you know I think look these teams are all well coached. I think Kyle Shanahan's a really good offensive coach. He doesn't have the big win, but he's a really good offensive coach who has sniffed around it. Dan Campbell has gotten a lot out of the Detroit Lions. They're playing over their heads. Andy Reid speaks for itself, Super Bowl champion, taking multiple teams to Super Bowls. Um, and then you look over at John Harbaugh, and you know he's got world championship, and he's got his team playing well. These teams are also well coached. It's interesting to see them sort of fine-tune and hone in on the one little thing that might give them an advantage. Mark Andrews activated or Debo Samuel is a decoy. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Leave it here. The 5 at 5 is next. Well, we're really going to hone in on the NFL playoff games this hour. I'm going to open the phone lines. We're going to do the 5 at 5. I want your take as well. Who do you have in the game? Who do you like? Which game is going to be better? Are you watching them both? Will you settle in and watch both games? I will. It's my job, as I tell Anna. 
<laughs> I don't want to do it. I have to do it. <laughs> hey, I got to go to work here. How many people have that excuse? How about, uh, how about you make some chili? <laughs> we get some beverages. Get in that chicken. Get in that kitchen, woman. <laughs> Is that what you're saying? Well, what's going to be served on those, re- on those red plates, Anna? Come on. Yeah. Come on. Chili is among them. All right. Popcorn chicken. All right. There you go. Making me hungry. Mm-hmm. But I got to go to work now. That's what I say when they're about to kick <laughs> you off. You got to pack a lunch for me. Come on. I put on a hard hat and uh, one of those construction vests, <laughs> reflective vests, and I tell the kids, quiet now. <laughs> Daddy's working. Yes. <laughs> Oh, we got the five at five. We'll open the phone lines. Does that ever work, though, John? You say no. that? I've tried it no. on my kids. It doesn't work either. Uh, mostly I just get interrupted, and I, I'll say things like, you know, people who have normal jobs don't have to deal with constant interruption. Okay? Well, he finally put his foot down. Take it seriously. Because there would be some game on, and the kids would be like, no, we want to watch Bluey. And, you know, sometimes he would relent, and he'd be, like, watching the game on his phone. That's the part of parenthood they never tell you about. (laughs) Yeah. You watch things on your phone all the time because you can't watch on TV. And then I'm, you know, I'm, I'm expected to be, like, posting on social media about what I think about the game. You ever tried watching a game and then toggling over to your Twitter app and then tweeting and then trying to get back into Hulu or whatever you're using? It doesn't work, people. It doesn't work. It is a tough life, I tell you what. I'm telling you, these people, look at me. I said, I make it look too easy, I guess. (laughs) This is hard work. True pro right there. (laughs) Well, we got the five at five. Let's do it. The five at five. I cannot wait to see where this goes. What do you got, Anna? Let's uh, let's kick it off with your top story. The biggest story that you see in sports. Just go. Hold on. I'm all frozen up Just over here. go. That's why it's hard. I'm telling oh, you're you. You're stalling? Sometimes you make it look easy. Can I just make up the sound effect? Ba-choom. Number one. <laughs> what do you got? I don't know how I feel about Bleacher Report saying it's going to be a movie in Baltimore, but they seem to be saying that the Ravens are really playing up this game. What do you mean a movie? I, you know, like it's uh, all the drama. Ray Lewis and Ed Reed oh. will be named legends of the game. Michael Phelps will deliver the game ball. They have T-Pain performing at halftime. Googling T-Pain. <laughs> uh Okay, so... A lot of build-up. A lot what, of build-up. So wait, when they say it's going to be... A, do you think there's such a thing as too much build-up, too much hype? Is there a possibility here that um, there's too much going on? I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And but and frankly, it, it's not the coaches and the players themselves, right, that are doing this. It's just the marketing team for the Ravens that are going all out to try and, you know, pump up the entertainment and nostalgia value of this game and tie it to legacy and all that. Why so. Why is that necessary? Is there, like, they're trying to sell some extra tickets? Like, it, it's a sellout, right? I mean, like, people in Baltimore are not already excited for this game? Like, they, you have to add a little bit more to it? I, no, you know? I mean, it's just if they've got the brand and they're at the height of discussion nationally and internationally, then they want to probably bring a little extra I think, but I think there's a risk that you do too much and you take away from the game, and that it looks a little overproduced and there's too much hoopla. You know, this like 
like Scott Ruick was on I the disagree. show earlier. What? Mm-hmm. I disagree. But like, okay, Scott Ruick, the Oregon State women's basketball coach, was on the show earlier. He last weekend had the misfortune of like being invited to Stanford's big game where Tara Vanderveer was going to break the all-time record for wins by a college basketball coach, uh-huh. 1,203. Okay. Breaking my Shikshevsky's record. Okay. Ruick is invited as the opposing team. Yeah. Okay. Steph Curry's there. All these alumni are there. There's all, you know, they give her a jacket, you know, ESPN. Um, there was just a lot of pageantry and celebration around it. Yeah. And that's cool because then it was almost like this was the outcome was ceremonial. Like Oregon State was the Washington Generals. They're, sure. they're there to lose to the Harlem Globetrotters. Right. But I all, I wonder in a real game, like this is going to be a real game. Patrick mm-hmm. Mahomes on the other side. Yeah. Do you do all that hoopla and stuff? And does it become a little emotionally exhausting for the fans? Or does it feel like it's overcooked? Like, isn't the game enough, I guess? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I think that if I'm on the PR team for the Ravens, I think they're just using this as a strategy. Like, hey, this is our big moment. I mean, I hate to be negative, but it's like, if we lose, let's let's maximize... Um, you know the star power that we can bring to this game we're hosting. Let's let's go all out. Why not? Number because, two. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> because as we know, the Super Bowl is a very muted environment. It's yeah, a neutral true. territory, and most fans can't even afford to go. Number two. <laughs> oh, I, I take it you're ready to move on. Moving on. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, Kyle Shanahan. Uh, corrects a reporter. I know that uh, you've talked about this, but I felt like it was worth mentioning again. Uh, Just, you know, talking about how much of an advantage is playing at home. Now, home field advantage in the NFL, everyone will always tell you it's three points. Mm -hmm. But it's not always three points. I'll tell you why in a minute. But here's Shanahan in his answer to the reporter who was asking him about the 12th man. We don't call him the twelfth man here, um, but but our crowd's very important. Our crowd is our crowd. I think is the best in football. They travel extremely well. They don't have to travel this week. I hear the Lions fans travel pretty well. Um, I mean, we love having a home field advantage. Our defense more than anything. Our players coming out of the tunnel. Um, we want to win it here. It's it's a huge deal. It affects everybody, and I think always in sports. I mean, everyone likes playing at home, but in football, uh, when it's loud, that truly is an advantage. I mean, that truly messes up what one side of the ball can do. Well, first of all, how embarrassed is that reporter for asking that question? Yeah. It's not as bad as the other reporter who asked about weather being a factor in a game that was played yeah. under a dome. But, you, I mean, come on. you got to know that that's not, that's like a Seahawks term. People want to make it about the stadium. It's not the stadium. The home field advantage rarely has to do with the stadium the home field advantage is about two things in particular the nfl Mm -hmm. it's one you're not having to travel you are waking up in you know your neighborhood with your kids your family your own bed maybe you stay in a hotel the night before the teams will often do that especially uh with the 49ers in santa clara they stay right there at the marriott and it you know you have this routine that you're in that isn't interrupted by, hey, we have to get on a plane, we have to travel somewhere, uh, you know, we're going to go through the, you know, our bodies being on a plane flying from Detroit to 
the Bay Area. There's that factor, okay? It's a little inconvenience. And the second thing is simply the fans. It's not the stadium. It's the fans. Now, we learned this in the pandemic. Northwestern did a study on this. Northwestern looked at team performance during the COVID season when fans were there and fans weren't there, and they went back in history and looked at when there were cases of games that had lower attendance, whatnot. Home teams won 54% of the games in the NFL when fans were allowed inside the stadiums during 2020. The home team only won 47% of the time when there were no fans. And people would be like, is it really the fans? Absolutely, I think it is the fans, because I think the fans not only give the opposing team some problems with, you know, you know, trying to call their plays, trying to call formations, trying to snap the ball on offense. It results in, per, you know, a legal procedure call. They, they also influence the officiating. I think those officials are human. I think they hear the home crowd. I think it's inherent in most officials and most people. You want to please people. And I think, you know, they're more reluctant to throw flags against uh, home teams than visiting teams. And I think you get some of that. So, you know, maybe you go back and you look. Um, you know, the study at Northwestern looked at every season. It concluded that the home field advantage is generally worth only about 1.9 points, not three points. And particularly Levi Stadium in Santa Clara. It's not a real um, visceral experience. You know, like when I used to go into the Oakland Coliseum to cover a Raiders game, mm-hmm. you knew you were at a Raiders game. Like, you knew it. It w- just had a feel to it. It had, a, it had a, a brand to it. It had an atmosphere to it. You go to a college football game at Ohio State, Ann Arbor, Oregon, Oregon State even to some extent. You know where you are, and I think there's, it's a visceral experience. Levi's Stadium is sterile. It's uh, it's an erector set that has been you know set up in a parking lot. It you know the stadium site itself. I grew up in the area. It was the parking lot for Marriott's Great America, the theme park, and they built a football stadium there. And it's just it doesn't have a great like oh you're real you're in Philadelphia you're in Kansas City. It doesn't have that feel to it. Isn't that because of the people who live there though? I mean they haven't they don't buy in as heavily. It, you know, these are like tech people, and a lot of them are transients. Yeah, there's that have some front-runner Niner fans there that are loud, but I think it's more they're, they're loud. But I actually think that stadium is like a track home, and you know how you go out and you're uh, you look at a, a home and you're the first one that's built on the block. Yeah. It has that feel to it. It's literally <laughs> in a business park. Okay. All around it is kind of a business park, huh. and it's just not a. There's not a you know. You're not like ringing the bells, you know, like Raiders did coming into Oakland and Hell's Bells is playing. It doesn't have that feel to it. Mm. If, and if you didn't see all the red jerseys, you would probably would just think, where am I? You know, am mm. I in uh, Arizona? You know, uh, you wouldn't know. So I just, I think the home field's worth something, but let's not get carried away. In this game, the better team's going to win. If Detroit's the better team, they're going to win the game. I think. I'm picking the Niners, though. Have I said that? Mm, no, that's the first time you've mentioned it. Okay, moving on. We're going to the next story. It is story number three on your lineup. Here goes Anna. Number three. There it is. 
Okay, a uh, lot of chatter about this, and it, they're just dripping this out because you know it's going to happen, and they've marketed it well now. Steph Curry versus Sabrina Ionescu in a three-point contest at NBA All-Star Weekend. It's being floated as a possibility. It's like Steph Curry had this conversation with a teammate saying, oh, you know, I should do this. And then you have Sabrina tweeting back saying, let's go, let's do it. It's been brilliantly orchestrated um, all toward the inevitable, which is that they will go head-to-head in a three-point competition. This is Bobby Riggs and Billie Jean King all over again in 2024. You think? If Steph Curry were smart, he would do a little reading. There's This is a no-win situation for him. <laughs> <laughs> it, it it is either he loses to Sabrina, uh-huh. or he beats Sabrina and he looks like a bully doing it. Yeah, you know, and eh, and you think? I, I think yes. I don't think he. I don't think there's as much upside for him in this as there is for her. And maybe he likes it that way. You know, I will not be surprised if this is close. I'll take Sabrina. It doesn't have that sort of battle of the sexes feel to it, though. I but, don't know. But if Sabrina wins, you know there's going to be a bunch of dudes out there that are like, oh, she uses a smaller ball. She's you know closer to the to the actual hoop of the NBA three point line. There's going to be gonna so say, many excuses. She, if she played in a uh, tournament, she wouldn't do well. Right. And all of that stuff. Hmm. She's a hell of a player. I I think it's a nice twist on All Star Weekend. But I don't think there's a lot of upside for Steph in this in this battle. But would you watch it though, John? Yeah, I'm going to watch it. Hundred <laughs> percent. Sabrina, who are you rooting for? I'll take Sabrina, and I bet you there'll be a point spread on it. It'll be like Steph Curry minus one and a half threes. If I can bet on it, I'll watch it. <laughs> Number four. Four. Um, let's talk about Iowa State men's basketball team. Here we go. Accused of stealing signs against Kansas State. Uh huh. So this was a, kind of a testy late-game exchange between the coaches on the two teams. They exchanged words twice with the Iowa State win. Uh, and basically, the one coach was saying that uh, the, 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 the other team, that Iowa State had planted team representatives in the stands behind the Kansas State bench to steal signs during the huddle. I've heard too much sign stealing. For one year. Yeah, right? Yeah. Jerome I, Tang and his staff were concerned that the representatives were then texting information into the Iowa State huddles. Hmm. Well, there you go. It has jumped into basketball. Well, we were so mad at Jim Harbaugh, John, you were, and now it's like, oh, now it's not Jim Harbaugh. It's not I'm just tired it. of it. I'm so tired of all these <laughs> nonsense stories. Because everyone does it. That's the thing. Just don't be dumb and don't get caught. It doesn't make it right, Stephen, that everyone does it. <laughs> But, you know, try that on Stady when he pulls you over and you're going 75. I tried. You know? It didn't work. Going with the flow of traffic. Yeah, there you go. That's the line. I was in Dothan, Alabama one time, and I was driving from University of Alabama, Birmingham basketball game. They'd played Indiana. I had covered it. I was driving north on the freeway, and I was speeding. And I got pulled over by a state trooper. And uh, he came over to the car. I rolled the window down. I was going to try to say, like, hey, you know, I'm going the speed of traffic. I couldn't even get a sentence out. He said, ticket. That's all he said. And I said, yes, sir. (laughs) That's it. So try that. But I'm so tired of these stories. I want to focus on the joy of sports. I'm here for the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. 
And we know that. We know that because, you know, the Jordan Pope uh, three-pointer last night. Can I just, you know, can we just say that that was what sports is supposed to be about? That stuff is should be getting the headlines. And instead, you know, Oregon State beats Arizona and CBS Sports and Sports Illustrated and Deadspin are focused on sign stealing. Uh-uh. I'm focused on Mike Parker's call of Jordan Pope's three to beat Arizona. One timeout remaining. Pope into the front court. Beavers could win it with a hoop. Pope goes left. Jordan a step back three for the win. Goal! He hit it, and the Beavers win. There it is. Beavers win. Second best Mike Parker call of all time. You know the first, Stephen? Uh, Coletto. Nope. When Mike Parker got upset when they called That's right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Pat Casey's team for a check swing and they ejected <laughs> Pat Casey, Mike Parker was on that call as well. Tyler Smith has an RBI single in the game, and he's hit by the first pitch and just simply runs down to first. Oregon is going to ask, uh, did he offer on the bunt attempt? And he certainly didn't. Oh, I think they're going to oh, they're say, gonna he, say did. he did. And Pat no, Casey, here comes Casey. No, they say they called a strike. Uh, the first at base umpire called a strike, I believe. That is a terrible call, folks. That is a, a, a horrendous call. They are saying that Pat Casey offered, and he's been ejected. Are you kidding me? I, I believe that Pat Casey has already been ejected. Whatever he said to home plate umpire, he said it fast. That is a horrendous call. Absolutely horrendous. And Pat Casey is all over the first base umpire, Scott Latendre. Tyler Smith was turning to butt and got drilled by the pitch. His bat never went across the plate. And Scott Latendre calls a strike and throws Pat Casey out of the game. And Casey's all over the home plate umpire, Brent Cunningham. And I don't blame him either. He doesn't need any help on that call. That's a hit batsman, Jimmy. That's a terrible call. Mike Parker, voice of the Beavers. <laughs> I love that guy. You can hear him throwing his headset down. Uh, when he's in the back going, that's terrible. He's just, he's done. He's not broadcasting. Great job by Jim Wilson, though, to fill in as Parker's yelling at the umpires. Wilson starts oh. talking. So there's well, no I believe, I believe the first base umpire called a strike. Parker's in the background going, that's terrible. <laughs> I love it. Number five. Finally. Closing out with a little Alyssa Milano. You heard about this? Her son is a... Uh, on a baseball team. Hmm. 12U. They're raising money for a trip to Cooperstown. You're familiar with this yeah. kind of thing, right? Yeah. So she and her husband set up a GoFundMe to oh. help raise money for the team to go to Cooperstown. Bad <laughs> luck. She's asking Bad her luck. many followers and fans to chip in for the baseball trip. But, you know, because she's perceived as being famous and wealthy and she's just getting dragged through the mud over this like why are you asking us to make a donation with the goal of raising ten thousand dollars the backlash was so significant that by noon today she clarified and said that uh she's getting media inquiries about whether she's financially contributed to the sun's team 
Because her name wasn't on the GoFundMe. You know how you can yeah. see like who's donated? The go- <laughs> said, we should give. Yeah, go ahead. What'd she say? She said, I've paid for uniforms for the entire team and coaches, thrown birthday parties, and sponsor any kid who can't afford monthly dues. The kids also do fundraising themselves, car washes, movie nights, and many other fun things. I, it's a bad look. It's well, You're a little bit out of touch, Alyssa, on this one. Um, they've raised $8,356 of their $10,000 goal. I think we should give them like a quarter <laughs> just, just so quarter. I can, just so I can post a comment on the page, you know, do I get a share of the winnings? You know, what are we doing here? Am I owner of the team? Uh, by the way, on the GoFundMe page, it says, we won't let you down. I got news for you. You already did. That's the five at five. I want your phone calls now. Who do you have? NFC Championship game, AFC Championship game. What's the better game? What snacks are you eating? Let's talk football. 503-417-7575. I've been enjoying this show, as it should be. And you know what? We started today's show by talking about great play-by-play calls and the joy of sports. And sometimes, as much as you need it, I need it. I need sports to stop being about lawyers and litigation and the transfer portal and NIL and conference realignment. And I get it. Those are parts of sports and we got to deal with them. But just maybe a little break from it all. I wrote today at johnconzano.com a catharsis from athletic directors in the Big 12, Big 10, ACC, Pac-12, SEC, Group of five ADs. I talked with a ton of them, and what I got was refreshing and candid. If you want to read their feedback on coaches, their feedback on agents and the transfer portal and NIL and how overwhelmed that they feel about it, uh, go to johnconzano.com. You can check that out. I also uh, posted some news today on the Oregon front. Oregon's season opener next season that was scheduled to be at Hawaii is off it is canceled it is not happening the ducks are not going to hawaii it was previously reported that they were in discussions about rescheduling the game i am told by the university of hawaii's athletic director craig angelos that that game will not be played next season it might never be played in fact oregon may never play hawaii again oregon heading off to the big 10 oregon does not want to play that 13th game next season they would rather open august 31st at home against idaho That's what's going to happen. So the Hawaii trip is off. Sorry for you if you have booked uh, to go see that game. Hawaii's got some issues. Hawaii's got no home stadium. They've got a temporary stadium set up on their campus, 15,000 seats. But Aloha Stadium was deemed in 2020 unsafe. And uh, there's a new stadium project that the city is working on there. And they're uh, now uh, opening bids for for the developers to come in and do that stadium. And so... Uh, Hawaii's got, you know, its own focus. And I just think Oregon was looking at that game going, do we really want to play a 13th game with an expanded playoff? There's a possibility that Oregon could be in as many as 17 games next season um, with, you know, extra playoff games and conference championship game. And, you know, so I think Oregon's doing the wise thing and they're going, hey, we don't need to travel in week one. Let's take the week off. Let's get ready for Idaho. Let's make sure we're healthy. So the Ducks will not be going to Hawaii. Craig Angelos, the AD at Hawaii, told me that that game may be rescheduled. 
He's also said the game in 2031, where Hawaii is supposed to return and go to Autzen Stadium, is in jeopardy as well because Oregon wants to play Oregon State in that week in 2031. So it appears as though the Ducks would like to play the Beavers moving forward. It also appears that they're not going to be going to Hawaii anytime soon, at least not unless they're on vacation. Steven, we never gave our picks in the Chiefs-Ravens game, officially. I'm going to take the Ravens. I think it's going to be a close game, but I'll take the Ravens. I think they have the better defense. They're playing at home. Patrick Mahomes, I have all the respect in the world for you, but I think your season ends in the AFC title game. Who do you like? Yeah, I agree with you. I think Baltimore's going to get this job done. Uh, it does worry me a little bit that you know the weather may be a little rainy. I think that plays into the into the Chiefs' favor just with the you know Patrick Mahomes and the way he can play. But um, I, I love the way Baltimore's been playing all season long, especially the last you know second half of the season. And they're healthy. They're healthy on the defensive side. I thought that's where Buffalo got exposed last week against the Chiefs. Was you know the linebackers, the safeties, being able to guard Travis Kelsey. They couldn't do it. Baltimore's got those guys, and so I think you know they'll be able to contain that Chiefs offense. It might be a lower scoring game, maybe you think. I like the under as well, uh, but I do like the Ravens. I like the Ravens to cover in the game. I think uh, closer than the four. I think it's a real tight game, but I, I think the Ravens are the better team. They're playing at home. Uh, we both uh, picked the Niners, but uh, you know, look, let's talk about upsets. Greater propensity for an upset: Chiefs or Lions? I say Chiefs because of Mahomes. What do you say? I actually think it's the Lions. I like the Lions plus the points. I think the 49ers get the job done. I think they win the game. But I think Detroit is live in this game. And the reason I do is it's the Dan Campbell factor. I, I think he's a good coach. I think he's a really good coach. And the way that he goes about his business, being very aggressive, ultra aggressive, there's going to be times in this game, John, I think, where the Lions have a fourth down and you're thinking, well, they're going to punt it. And maybe they go for it. Or maybe they throw a fake punt at you. They, they might do something. And Dan Campbell's always going to be aggressive. And if it works... That is definitely going to be in their favor. Now, I also think the Lions have the bigger chance of getting blown out because these aggressive moves may backfire, and then the 49ers get great field position. But I love the way Dan Campbell coaches. I love the aggressiveness. I love aggressive coaches. So I think it's a really good thing there. I also think they have the better quarterback. Jared Goff is better than Brock Purdy. And so you're going to give me seven points and the better quarterback. I may even argue that Dan Campbell, better coach than Kyle Shanahan. Shanahan's a better offensive coach, better schemer, but in-game coach, I got a lot of questions about Kyle Shanahan and his conservativeness. So I do like the Lions, and I think if things break their way, I think they are very live in this game to win. And, man, that would be weird to say the Detroit Lions going to the Super Bowl, and it, it feels weird to even say it, but I, I think not there's happening. a chance. I think it's a chance. Not happening. There's not, it's not happening. And, again, and again I, th- I just kind of think there's a ceiling to certain seasons, and I think the Lions have a ceiling to their season. Of the four teams that are playing, they feel like, to me, the least qualified, least talented, least dynamic team. Do you, do Jared you think, Goff, do, is there yeah. a worry, though, that the, uh, the 49ers offensive line, and we heard the comments about it, you've talked about it, Aiden Hudson getting after it, and then you look at the other way. You know, Penny Sewell blocking uh, Nick Bosa. The, the Lions offensive line is really good. If they can keep Goff upright, he's been shown that he can throw some things. Can the Lions put pressure on the 49ers uh, and make Purdy make some mistakes? That's where you get him. I think he'll know early if that's if that's going to be a thing. The because that's not something that's not like a guy making a play. It's more of the Mario Cristobal mindset. I asked Mario Cristobal what he looks for in the early part of games, and he's watching to see which the which offensive line is finishing plays. You know, are they? You know, is Panay Sewell finishing plays down the field? Uh, is you know, is it Trent Williams finishing plays down the field? Just look at the two offensive lines. I think you get a feel pretty early if one of them is going to neutralize the other team. And that's what Detroit's done. I mean, Detroit built that team 
at the point of attack, great run game. They have a quarterback who manages the game and is very accurate in Jared Goff. He's got a little bit of uh, Bo Nix in his game. I think he's really good in the short and the intermediate game. But, uh, look, if, if the 49ers show up to play, it's Christian McCaffrey, it's George Kittle, it's Debo Samuel. Uh, I think there's just too much offense uh, on the San Francisco do you, side. Do you think the 49ers-Lions or the Ravens-Chiefs game, which game's going to be more exciting? Your... I think the 49ers-Lions game has the has more big plays, yeah. more excitement. I The Ravens-Chiefs game feels like, you know, you ever, you ever tune into like a UFC match and one of the fighters gets down on the ground on his back? And he's like using his feet, and he's kind of pivoting, and the other guy's circling around him and pivoting. That's what the Chiefs Ravens game. It seems like, like a heavy hitter type of contest, right? Like there's yeah. going to be blows, but it's not going to be big time plays. It's just going to be man you know, in the trenches. How how's it work? I think the rain also may if yeah. the weather's like that too. Yeah, I'm with you. I think that, I do like the under a lot in that Ravens Chiefs game. I, you know, so it'd be like getting in a fist fight in an elevator. That's that's to me what the Chiefs you know Ravens game feels like. It's like, you know, a lot can happen there, but it feels like it's a lot of grappling. And, but the Niners-Lions game, you know, weather permitting, I think the quarterbacks will spread the field out. Um, the Lions run game has a potential to make some big plays. I think you certainly saw that, the you know, the the Packers had a couple of runs in that game that, that were big plays. I think I think we'll see some 35, 40-yard plays on both sides. Yeah. A little bit of back and forth. Last week we thought you know the Bills would have the most pressure on them. Who has the most pressure on them this week to get the job done and get to the Super Bowl? San Francisco. Not even close. Over uh, the Ravens. Even Lamar trying yeah, to get over that hump. Yeah. Yeah. Because, look, um, you know, you look at the Ravens, you know, if you even go back and and look, you know, you look at how they're built and, you know, they just sort of have reemerged through the, through the cloud that was the Chiefs and the Bills. And, I think the Ravens have got some staying power. Like I expect the Ravens to be around the Super Bowl in the next couple seasons. San Francisco's been there, albeit with Jimmy Garoppolo, and didn't win it. And then they, you know, they've been around the title game, but haven't really broke through. And here they're back now, and everybody said, "Oh, they're all saying the players we were the best team last year." Well, guess what? You got to go prove it now. So I think, and I haven't. I got to be honest. I haven't seen it from Kyle Shanahan. On this stage or in the Super Bowl stage, I haven't seen him be quite as relaxed. There's kind of a there's a loose and free feeling to the 49ers offense when Shanahan's calling plays and you can feel the confidence he has in the offense and the Niners are humming. There's a real relaxed feel and it's just like it's like watching, you know, a, a, a symphony or an orchestra or a ballet and all the pieces are moving as they should be moving. It looks very effortless and fun but he doesn't he hasn't had that feel in big games he calls the game tighter I think he airs a little conservative I think he forgets that he's got the better team it reminds me a little bit of some you know when Jonathan Smith would call some games for Oregon State and you know he got in some games against teams like Colorado this year and in some other games last year where I kind of went does he not know he has the better team like, you don't need to do anything weird here. Just play your game. The, the old fake field goal at Arizona. You, you yes. didn't need to do that. You needed to just kick the field goal and get those points. You're the better team. Just relax and be the better team. And and so Shan, I think there's tremendous pressure on Shanahan in particular. And I'm kind of wondering if he will settle down 
or if he will be a little bit of a mess in this game. And keep an eye on it because the longer the Lions hang around, the the more pressure it gets. Like if the Niners can build a double-digit lead, I have no doubt that Shanahan will look loose and free. He'll be like a, a guy at the blackjack table who's playing with house money, who's ordering drinks, and he's having fun, and he's hitting on 16 and drawing a four or five, you know. But rather than the guy who's, you know, staying on, you know, splitting eights and staying on 12 and or maybe playing a little more conservative. And I've seen that from him. He did it at the end of the first half last week against Green Bay. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see. And that's why I think, it, you know, if if Debo is 100% healthy, like he says he's going to be, it'll be interesting to see if they go to Debo early on in this game. I think that might say a lot to how Shanahan's mindset is. Are they going to be aggressive or is he going to play it safe? Because last week, you're definitely right. He did not trust Brock Purdy in that situation at the end of the first half. And look where it got them. The Packers, you know, they were up late in that game. The 49ers had to make that comeback in the fourth quarter with Brock Purdy making plays. If that happens again to this week to the Lions, I, I don't think you want to play with that type of fire in this type of situation because the pressures are going to be that much more magnetized uh, on Kyle Shanahan and those decisions. Yeah, keep an eye on it because I just, there's a feel about John Harbaugh. I'm not worried about him maybe not being at his best. I'm I am worried about Kyle Shanahan being tight. So let's keep an eye on that, see if it's a factor. I want your take on the AFC NFC championship games. Do you have a strong feeling? Yeah, you out there. You're driving your car. You're listening in the gym. You're at work. Where are you? 503-417-7575. Give me your picks in the AFC and the NFC. I want to go to the phone lines. It's your turn. You heard me talk all week about the 49ers and the Ravens. I want to know who you like, which game you find more interesting, and do you have a go-to snack that you uh, prepare for the game? Anna's making her chili over here. How about them apples? Ty is in Vancouver. The number's 503-417-7575. Ty, go ahead. Hey. Hey, John, thanks for taking my call. Hey, John, I just want to get your perspective. I mean, I'm a diehard 49er fan, but also I'm realistic, too. I kind of look to where Shanahan's been. He's, he was with the Falcons. He was the offensive coordinator over there, and they just, you know, they didn't win the big one there. And I'm looking for what he's done to the 49ers, and that statistic, which really kind of scared me going into the fourth quarter of that Green Bay game. Yes. He, uh, they were like 0-30-something. Uh, when they're seven points behind uh, going into the fourth quarter. So that was the first game they won coming from behind in the fourth quarter, which kind of scares me a little bit. Do yeah, you it, think, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, do you think that if he doesn't make it or win the Super Bowl this year, that do you think that there's a time for maybe uh, uh, the Niners to look for a, a coaching change? Because they haven't done any. I know that they got an off or a defensive coordinator that's new, and he hasn't done really the goodest job is the other previous guy did. I mean, I haven't seen in the last couple of games any pressure on the quarterback at all. I mean, what's your thoughts on that, John? Yeah, I think defensively they've taken a little step backwards from where they were maybe a year or two ago. Some of it could be the coordinators. They went from Robert Sala to Mako Ryan, lost both of those guys to head coaching jobs. Uh, some of it could be that. Some of it could just be your windows closing. And, you know, the trade that they made for Christian McCaffrey kind of signaled, I think, to everybody that they were going after it. They're going for it. They're going all in. And, you know, they gave up a ton to get him, and it was a great trade. And I think they probably ride or die, or they'll say they're ride or die with Shanahan, but I think a big part of whether or not he is the coach moving forward has to do with how they do this week and if they can get to the Super Bowl. You know, if, if there's a monumental meltdown this week, it changes the 
calculus for Kyle Shanahan's retention for sure. Um, they were one and they were zero and thirty-two going into a fourth quarter by down by down by three three or more points. They're now one and thirty-two, and they're zero and thirty-eight entering a fourth quarter down by eight points or more under Kyle Shanahan. So you know, hey, look, there's a season for all things. I don't think you're there yet with Shanahan, but if there was a bad loss here to Detroit in the NFC Championship game where he clearly got out coached, it could start that narrative. Let's go to Jeff, who's in Castle Rock. Jeff, welcome. Good evening, John. Thank you for taking the call. You bet. So, I'm going to go with the Lions for the Cinderella story. Okay. Never been there. I know you're a 49ers fan. It's okay. Right. Unfortunately, uh, I am not a 49ers fan since they beat up on my uh, my Dolphins and Bengals in some Super Bowls. So, but on the other side, I definitely want the Chiefs simply for the fact that the fragile ego wannabe alphas are uh, mad every time that they show Taylor Swift. So, I certainly hope. <laughs> I certainly hope Kelsey scores like five or six touchdowns. Oh my gosh! Just so that they'll be angry. It could break the internet, break Twitter. Yeah, you know. Although, if you are the broadcast partner of the NFL on the AFC title game or the Super Bowl, you're going give me some Taylor Swift in these games because it's going to bring a whole different audience. And uh, it, and I don't. I guess I didn't quite grasp the impact of that. Until I was at Starbucks this week, and I walked in to get my iced coffee, and the barista had a Taylor Swift pin on her lapel or her apron, and I noted it. I kind of made a mental note, and I said, don't ask about the pin. I do not want to have a conversation right now about Taylor Swift. She wants me to ask her about the pin. She wouldn't have worn the pin if she didn't want to talk about Taylor Swift. She really wants me to tell me about the concert she went to and the line she stood in to get the T-shirt and her favorite song and how she thinks it's true love. And lo and behold, one of the other baristas, who's a sports fan guy, said, Hey, John, who do you like in the, uh, in the Super Bowl? And she whipped right around. And I said, uh, well, I know who she's rooting for. I said, you're rooting for Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift to get married. And um, remember when the Taylor Swift fans got all mad when we were, like, saying, a lot of us were uh, saying, you know, who is this Taylor Swift and why is she trying to elevate her profile by dating an NFL player? <laughs> and, the, and, the Taylor, and the Swifties got all angry. I didn't have the heart to even joke around with her. Yeah, you know, even to joke around, and uh, you know, I saw somebody say, "Oh, she's um, ever since she got with Kelsey Grammer, she's been uh, she's been on fire." No, it it I I actually want to believe that it's love. I want to believe that Taylor Swift's such a good person that she actually uh, has picked somebody that she can stand to be around, and that Travis Kelsey's you know sifted through uh, all the potential people he could date in Kansas City and elsewhere, and said that one person who's on stage, I know this is going to be a hassle and draw a lot of attention and probably uh, create a bunch of hoopla, but I'm going to actually pick that person. Um, I want to believe that it's real. And I actually think, like, for the caller, Jeff in Castle Rock, it's not a bad point. If you don't have a dog in the fight, maybe your dog in this fight to who's going to the Super Bowl 
isn't the Chiefs or the Ravens, the Niners or the Lions. Maybe you're just rooting for Taylor Swift to get there. And rain on the parade that will be Usher's halftime show with a week or two of speculation spent wondering if Taylor Swift will make a cameo in the halftime show. Steven, let's do some odds on that. I was going to say, what are the odds on that? They're going to be a betting mark if that happens. 100% betting market on that. Surprise cameo by Taylor Swift. If the Chiefs go to the Super Bowl, I guarantee it happens. There's just no way. It's it's too good. There's too much synergy. There'd be too much pressure from the NFL. I think Taylor Swift would be too tempted to do it. Like, here's the game, and then all of a sudden, boom, they cut to the luxury suite. She's in the, you know, the jacket that was uh, created by one of the 49ers' wives that, you know, has uh, Travis Kelsey's jersey on it, and she's singing a song. But, and But she wouldn't you know, be on stage with him, right? It would just be her up in the suite. Kind of feels that that would be the the surprise of it, right? You know? Like I couldn't imagine her going on stage and like performing with Usher, but I would. They would definitely show her because she would be dancing and singing, and so that would be a good shot. But I, do you think any chance that she would you know actually go and like perform on the stage with Usher at the Super Bowl? Does she need it? Like, no. You know, I said it. We were talking months and months ago before any of this came out, before any of her her romance with Travis Kelsey went public, and I came on this show. And I said there were two people who were just killing it. And it was uh, Lionel Messi, who had cut the deal with Apple, and it was Taylor Swift. They don't need anybody else. They don't need another platform. She's already got everybody going to the concerts. She, There's no limit to what she can do. It, we have not seen pop culture and celebrity reach this kind of crescendo before in history. You can bring up the Beatles. You can bring up Elvis Presley. Taylor Swift is Michael Jackson. She is there, and she has that stage, that spotlight, that power, that impact. I would argue that Messi had it in soccer around, right around the time that he signed the deal with Apple. He could call his shot. He didn't need anybody else or anything else. So I don't think she does it and does a halftime show just to go out and you know make a little more money, sell some more records, draw a little more um, attention to her product and her brand. She doesn't need that. But if she's going to be there, I actually think she's such an entertainer and she understands the gravity of it all. It would be like the coolest thing ever. Usher's on stage. They're doing the big Super Bowl production. Bam, you know how they have cameos. They've had multiple performers before. Bam, spotlight cuts to the suite. All of a sudden the window pops open. Taylor Swift walks out onto the balcony of the luxury suite. She's got a microphone. And she's singing a song, and it would break the television broadcast record. Everybody in every living room in America would just be like, oh, my gosh. In the same way that my nine-year-old literally is sitting there, and she's a football fan, but she'll seven-year-old and the nine-year-old will watch the game, and if Taylor Swift comes on and they show a shot of the box, they're buzzing about it. And they're talking about it. They're aware of who she is. They know what she does. They know who she's dating. It's ridiculous. And if they know, everybody knows. Monday we'll be talking about this. We'll know. We'll have clarity on Monday. As long as they don't show the Kelseys. That's that, you know what? Show Taylor Swift as long as you want. Just don't show me Jason. By the way, is he coming back or not? Is he playing next year or not? No, he. They're they're doing too well with their podcast. He doesn't have to bang his head into other guys all the time. He can just talk now and make enough money doing it that way. I, I, I saw rumors that he was he was thinking of coming out of retirement already. <laughs> but. What, is, what does that mean? He helped himself as well. Over? He helped him. He's got his shirt back on. He's ready to go play. 
He like he helped himself. He won too. He's sucked into the vortex. And you know what the saddest thing of the whole, you know, Taylor Swift, J- Travis Kelsey thing is, is watching Brittany Mahomes try to like hitchhike her way along for the ride. Well, Jason was the voted the most sexiest <laughs> guy. Like it wasn't Travis; it was Jason. Yeah. Well, he's 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 got some and momentum also don't out feel of it bad too. For Brittany Mahomes, do not feel bad for her. She's drafting though, is she not? She is. You see her? She's, she's trying to be the. She's trying to be the bestie. They have like a uh, high, they have like their own high five. They do. Yeah. But like I kind of think like anybody who's seen you know she is kind of obnoxious, but everybody who's seen it understands that like she's drafting off the Taylor Swift celebrity in the in every way that she possibly can, and maybe you'd be tempted to do it too if you were in that position. All right, I got the Niners, I got the Ravens. We'll talk Monday. The bald faced truth not here for a long time, just a good time.